so hey yo good morning good afternoon and good evening beautiful people of the internet welcome back to the channel welcome back to another episode of inside the life of today i have the distinct pleasure of sitting down with the man the myth the legend the australian dreadlocked handsome beauty of a man mr james newberry and i could not be more excited before we roll into the episode though as always, gotta give a shout out to our presenting sponsor, Bob's Naturals. That is right, I have Bob's back in my life and I couldn't have a bigger smile on my face. This stuff has been a part of my routine for over a year and a half. I've been using this product and it is the absolute elixir of life first thing in the morning. Mixing this stuff into my coffee, their collagen peptides, their MCT oil powder, Whole30 approved, completely, completely clean keto, all that good stuff. You could not ask for a cleaner, better supplement on the market. The collagen peptides are amazing for digestive health, which is where I feel it the most, as well as amazing things for as you age with your hair and your skin, your nails and all that good stuff. The MCT oil powder, I've talked about it before, it takes the edge off, your brain spike, your brain fog, it keeps that caffeine nice and mellow instead of launching you up and shooting you down. But honestly, this stuff is just like the best tasting creamer you can possibly add to your stuff. No dairy, nothing that's gonna upset your tummy tum absolutely delicious creamy beverage it provides you mix these two things in your coffee you take a little milk froth you do a little and all of a sudden you basically have yourself a cappuccino with a billion more benefits than just adding milk to it i cannot give these guys a higher and more genuine plug you guys need to check them out snag yourself something awesome for over the holidays or for your loved ones it makes a great gift makes a great meal replacement in the morning, whatever it is you need it to do, it's gonna do for you. So thank you so much, Bubs Naturals, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Be sure, guys, linked in the description, use code INSIDE for 20% off your first order. Get yourself hooked up with the best ups on the planet. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is all I got for you. Now we're gonna roll into the podcast with Mr. James Newberry. <laughs> Big dog. Hey, Nate. How are you? Good, man. What's up? Not a lot. Not a lot. Just uh, hanging out in Amsterdam. Man, we, we, finally, we finally got it. We finally nailed Dude, it. I'm, I'm so sorry about this morning. When I woke up, I was just like, this is happening again. And this happened to me. I did a podcast two days ago. Yeah. And the Wi-Fi was shaky. And I was mm-hmm. like, shaky. And the funny thing is, it's usually early in the morning when it's really misty. I feel mm. like I just don't get great reception. Mm. And then when I woke up, I was like, holy crap, I've got guys next door that I'm going to wake them up with my podcast. Yeah. And then I was just like, Nate must be just thinking that I'm just crazy. No, dude, dude, it was funny. It was, it was, you're like, you're texting me. I'm like, this is the nicest human on planet Earth. Like, you were way too apologetic. And I'm like, bro, it's totally fine. Like, this was the original time. That way I didn't have to stay up till like 10 o'clock. So I was, I was happy about it. I had no problem with it. Oh, cool. Well, I'm glad. That's perfect. Yeah, man. How's, uh, how's Amsterdam? What are you doing there? I'm hanging out, just uh, having a good time. I'm not doing anything too crazy. I'm training. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just basically seeing the sights. I'm, I was supposed to be in Korea. So um, I was supposed to be in Korea doing some bobsled, catching up with Tia in mm-hmm. Korea. Mm-hmm. And um, That rhymed. Yes, I just thought of that. Yeah, I was supposed <laughs> to be seeing Tia in korea with Uh shane Uh um but i couldn't get a visa from germany so um Mm. now i'm just hanging out in amsterdam until the next european cup bobsled race dude why are all crossfitters bobsledders now like everyone there's not a single crossfitter out there who isn't a bobsledder now i know it's like you were like the og right you were like the first one 
That's what I was told. Well, I think, I think actually, I, I want to say that um, probably Kelsey Keel and Colleen Foch and I probably started around the same time. Um, okay. I think when I started doing trainings and trials and chatting to Bobsled Australia, that's when I first started seeing um, the push sleds get out on the road at Kelsey Keel's place. So it was around the same time, yeah. Hmm, interesting. I mean, it's like, it makes so much sense. Like, it makes yeah. so much sense. Like, a lower body explosive movement, power output, like, it's CrossFit. Like, especially certain CrossFitters who maybe have a tendency to be good at those things. Like, a Brent Fikowski may not be the best bobsledder, I guess, because he's not as, like, naturally yeah. powerful, maybe. Um, but yeah, like, Kelsey Keel and Colleen Foch, it was like, they can power clean more than I can deadlift. So, like, that makes a lot of sense. But <laughs> totally, totally. I think, uh, yeah, it's, it goes hand in hand. And I guess it would appeal to anybody that I guess the good thing about it is you typically don't find uh, a lot of athletes that will basically, you know, you might get sprinters, you might get sprinters that will do a little bit of weightlifting, but never go crazy heavy. Um, some maybe do, but very rare. And if they do, um, they're usually playing like football, so like a high-paying sport. Um, and then you don't typically find weightlifters that go out to the track and sprint, whereas we're kind of doing both of those things on a regular basis if you're, you know, if you're touching all bases. Um, so we typically get out to the track. We typically well, we weightlift a lot. So, yeah, if you can boost those areas up and then you know, be in that um, fast to 30-meter category, Mm-hmm. um then yeah you you would probably push a bobsled pretty well yeah dude is it fun like what's it like like oh. i have no concept of what it's epic it's so much fun if you like a little bit of adrenaline oh yeah it's epic like if if <laughs> you enjoy going fast you're willing to like skate the line of like tipping the bobsled over <laughs> and you don't mind having a, a crash here and there then mate it's all you it's so cool um i'm <laughs> I'm hooked on it. I think it's great. It's like it gives you those butterflies before you take yeah. it off. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, either either it's, you know, you're going to make it down and like you're going to make it down safely and hopefully you get a good time or you're going to tip it halfway down and you're going to deal with crash. So it's cool. It's exciting for me. I, I quite enjoy it. Plus, it also simplifies the training a lot for me too. Mm. Like it's very... It's, it, for me, uh, working on two areas specifically is very um easy to comprehend especially Mm -hmm. when you've been focusing on like 20 yes yeah yeah it must be a nice mental break like in the gym to not have to go in and do like i've even found that recently because our like most recent restrictions in the gym was just you can't do conditioning you can only lift weights yeah so it's like all right so i've been going to the gym and i've just been like lifting weights and then i've been doing conditioning at home on an assault bike and like that segmentation is kind of nice sometimes when you're used yeah. to going in and being like all right i have to weight lift and then do gymnastics and then do monostructural and then do conditioning and then do a metcon it's like oh 100%. No, I agree. It kind of takes me back to uh, playing football where it was just bodybuilding and running. It was mm. like you would bodybuild just to get strong. Um, and then you would run to be good at football. And that was pretty much it. So it's kind of taking me back to those days, kind of. When you say football, what do you mean? Rugby. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because It's so funny because it's usually when I talk to people, from the UK and they say football. I'm like, okay, soccer. But then I was yeah. like, I know you're Australian and I'm I like played rugby for a long time. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure he means footy, which is rugby. Yeah. Are you yeah. talking like ARL or like straight, like actual rugby? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, 
rugby league actually rugby i played league, rugby yes. league i played yeah. i played a couple of a couple of years of rugby union mm-hmm. um but yeah my main one was rugby league um and then i played like one uh, maybe like three quarters of a season of like aussie rules afl right. football mm-hmm. and i really enjoyed it too i think if i was going to go back and play a football mm-hmm. it would be yeah aussie rules like that's um It'd be a lot of fun. I could play with it. I'd probably convince a couple of my friends. Kind of big in the state that I live, like rugby league yeah. was not very well known. Yeah, well, that's the one thing I found interesting is like, yeah, the three main sports in Australia. And correct me if I'm wrong: are Aussie Rules, Rugby League, and Rugby Union. But they're very like divisible by state. So like each right. place is like you do one, but they don't even know what the other one is, and it's like yeah. very. That's exactly right, hundred percent. And then you've got that. Basically, uh, you've got that. Um, uh, widespread you know soccer mm-hmm. soccer um which goes across every state almost equally mm. so you've got underlying soccer is everywhere mm. and then you have states that just particular they'll choose like basically one of mm. um, and yeah that one and maybe two but mm. typically never three right i feel like the soccer players must get chirped so hard in australia though because like all the other sports are f- like the most contact sports you can possibly yeah. play on planet earth yeah and then there's soccer <laughs> exactly exactly yeah it is it's uh, it, i think depending on where you grow up yeah you kind of you had one that was the thing that you kind of did yeah um, if you didn't do that you're either like a you did surf life saving or you did swimming or something like mm-hmm. that or like ath- athletics and then sometimes you do multiples what drew you to, to league over union because like the one thing i mean i only really played union like when we play touch we'll obviously play league rules like it's kind of the yeah. same thing like no rock small scrums you roll yeah. the ball back and you get touched whatever yeah. but i didn't like that because maybe it was because i was a fly half i don't know but like i yeah. like the opening of the field that union brings because when you have yeah. a rock or a scrum um it just basically separates or takes a bunch of people out and it opens the field of play so yeah. you can have more dynamics and lines like attacking, and yeah, yeah like an, yeah lots of attacking sets yeah i think it it could have gone either way for me really mm-hmm. um i had a mate of mine who played really good uh, grade rugby union mm-hmm. and i played decent grade rugby league and um we would be like i was like if you come out and play for me I'll come out and play for you. So right. We kind of just traded. So there was a few years there where we did the trade and it was like, well, if you come out, I'll come out. Mm. Um, and we, and we did the swap, but um, it was basically just a school competition. We did a mm. school competition and I played, it was a rugby league one just mm-hmm. happened to be rugby league. If it had been rugby union, mm-hmm. um, it could have fallen that way. But I think we did rugby league with the school because it was probably a, easier concept to grasp it was mm. uh a, a, probably a simpler version yep. of rugby um that was you know doable for schools that never had rugby mm-hmm. so yeah it was it, it just fell that way and then when i got a taste of rugby league i was like oh, i like this yeah um and then i did that for a couple of years and that ended up being the sport that like my parents used to watch and and like my uncles and stuff used to play so as soon as I said, hey, I want to try rugby league, they were just like, mm-hmm. yeah, cool. So I was encouraged then to do it. And it wasn't typically union. Um, but yeah, and then, yeah, it, can't, it could have fallen either way though, but it's just mm-hmm. what my school provided at the time. Mm. Yeah, I know you, our league attracts, I think, more of like the real freak athletes, like the like six two, like 220 pound straight yeah. muscle sprinters. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. Sonny Bill Williams type. Like he was my first introduction to league when I was getting into rugby. 
and yeah. because it's just like you have to break the line like it's like playing red rover like yeah. literally like you yeah. can like there are little bits of like whatever switches and like yeah. you know skip passes but like realistically it's man-to-man coverage and you just have to break the line like yeah you rarely yeah, pretty, get yeah. you rarely get mismatches or like you know like an option on the other side uh-huh yeah no i agree and, and, and that was like for me as a, a younger kid like i really loved sprinting um mm. i did a lot of athletics so being fast was you know i guess for either either type of code um the quick players especially as juniors were mm-hmm. and even even as seniors they're, they're usually the most dangerous on the field mm-hmm. so i kind of took to it quickly you know and if i was scoring points um you know if, you, if you're a, like a if you're a point scorer you would be valuable for the team um and you know being a point scorer it, it kind of in, encouraged me and things that i did well at and excelled at um they encouraged me to do them more it was just you know i enjoyed i enjoyed the 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 test and i enjoyed winning and i enjoyed um you know excelling at something so when usually typically if i excel at something i'll typically enjoy it and it, that go, that crosses over to crossfit as well the years that i haven't done so well at the games mm-hmm. um it's like not a hugely fun experience because you go nope. there and you put so much effort in and it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go there and you do well and it's the best thing on earth. So it kind of yeah. goes hand in hand for me. I feel like coming from a sport background, like playing rugby and like playing real sports, because I think a lot of CrossFitters, I don't know about a lot, but there, there are quite a few nowadays. Like Matt was a weightlifter and like there's a lot of people who did these singular disciplines where like you might have one or two competitions a year. But when you come from a background of like, you're used to playing a game every single weekend, the thing that always blows my mind about CrossFit is like, you basically have like one competition a year, maybe two, like yeah. at least like big ones. And like, I can't imagine that. Like I loved playing sports because it was like, you had a game every weekend and you could constantly learn, constantly evolve, constantly grow. I yeah. can't imagine making a mistake at the games and then being like, I have to wait a year to rectify this or having a bad finish. I have to wait a year. Yeah. It's so long. Yeah, yeah. I've never even thought about it like that. I guess um I I, I tip I, I do agree. Um and that probably, you know, that, that intensity that you have to bring to a competition can really, you know, hammer you down. So probably a good thing that we don't have them every week. But yeah, you know, when training when training's heavy and you're, mm-hmm. you know, twelve weeks out from the games mm-hmm. and you're in high volume mode um yeah you're you're outputting quite a fair bit so mm-hmm. having to you're basically having to compete or go to a very high intensity for a day two days maybe two and a half days um on a weekly basis and the rest of your training would probably be some type of uh maybe reserved intensity mm-hmm. um so it is quite interesting so i i think coming from a sport background previously um, learning how to rise to the occasion and perform when it really counts helps mm-hmm. a lot um, mm-hmm. because you can't rock up to competition um, every year and just you know not be, not know how to how to rise to competition. Otherwise, you'll be forever just on that bubble. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I think it's an interesting concept because I totally am in agreement with you. Like CrossFit and the CrossFit Games is very different than than all other sports, and there's a reason why it's only once a year because it's this massive mecha test. But it'd be interesting to see like things like grid league, like when that kind of like had a bit of a run, like that was a bit quite a bit more frequently. I think it would just change what it is. Like it wouldn't be this one big beat you down competition. It would be like if they were to do like a a CrossFit league kind of thing and like have like a consistent season of competition, it would be much like rugby because like in a rugby season, playing one game a week 
is brutal. Like rugby is not a sport you can play, you know, multiple yeah. games in a week from like some other yeah. sports like basketball, hockey, whatever. I agree. Yeah, and yeah. like your training during the week for rugby after you play a game is like negligible. Like you don't really train hard until like maybe Wednesday or Thursday where you'll have a contact practice, but then Friday is nothing. And then Saturday's game day. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I, I, I do agree. And I've thought of that uh, a few times and, you know, making that, um, imagine if they did the CrossFit season like, say, you know, the WSL, like the World Surfing mm-hmm. League, or mm-hmm. um, like uh, um, similar to a, um, you know, like a, like a, a team, a team um, kind of season set up or the basketball mm-hmm. season, maybe not so many games, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like you, let's say you are allowed to, out of say 30 sanctioned events or however many they do 20 sanctioned events if you are in you know the top echelon you can choose which sanctioned events you want to go to and you just treat it like a tour and you you gain points throughout the year mm-hmm. um and you know maybe you can have four for a competition um uh you know you can you can travel to four competitions and each one of those competitions gathers you points and if you are above a, a particular point series or in, you're in the top 30 those points carry over to two more days of competition at the games. So like you, you may, for instance, you may get Kelly Slater who rips it all year and is clear ahead away. And then, you know, the final, um, you know, you know, uh, pipe masters concludes the season. Um, he's already so far ahead that he's going to win, even if he doesn't, you know, pull semis or, you know, past heats. Um, that, that would be an interesting, that'd be an interesting thing to, to look at too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what it's a conversation I like to have because like it's con- our sport is constantly evolving, and like we see that even like today they released all those new changes. Have you seen any of those yet? All I saw literally just before um, yeah. was that it starts the open starts on the 11th of March. Yeah, so hit me with some news. What's yeah. going on? <laughs> so um, next worldwide qual open or sorry, the, there will be some new worldwide quarterfinals. That will include approximately 10% of open athletes competing online from their local gyms. So I guess it's like, there's going to be a couple different stages maybe to it. And it's like, you do the open. And then if you do well in the open, then you do this, I guess, quarterfinal, which is an online competition from your gym, I guess, similar to the open 10% mm-hmm. of athletes, which is still a pretty large amount. Yeah. The, the affiliate cup is coming back um, with affiliate wow. teams competing around the world to advance to the quarterfinals, semifinals and cross the game. So it looks like they're going to go through the same process. Um, and then there's going to be 10 in-person semifinal events hosted by CrossFit partners across six continent continents, ensuring at least one athlete from each continent qualifies to the games. Each event will operate under strict safety protocols, including contingency plans for an online competition, depending on local, uh, conditions and restrictions. And then there'll be a last chance qualifier for athletes who narrowly miss out on the semifinals. And then obviously conclude with an in-person games uh, the week of July 26 in Madison, Wisconsin, with an online contingency plan if needed. Wow. That's just like my second time reading that. I read that literally two minutes before and I was like, okay, I'm going to have this ready to go. Yeah, that's cool. Like that sounds really fun. Um, There's lots of opportunities. And I guess doing it like that also allows new blood to come through as well. Mm. So. Mm that that yeah that's exciting i think that's cool and i think you know that could be a, a step to um yeah that's good evolution i think it i think that's exciting for a lot of people and yeah i i, I don't see any problem with that so far i guess i'd have to see how it all pans out but i think yeah. that you know the good thing about what's happening now 
is that there's a lot more, I guess, feedback and, and to and fro um, mm-hmm. with, you know, spectators, athletes and new management um, mm-hmm. is only going to be a benefit in the long run for CrossFit and the sport that it is. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that sounds super exciting. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any red flags that jump out at me with it. The one thing that I guess stands out the most is probably obviously the introduction of this quarterfinal. Like that's interesting. Like you have to go through, I guess it's going to be like two stages of the open. It seems like, yeah. um, but then this, the CrossFit, um, say, like not just sanctioning, but actually like having these events, I think they're going to have a much bigger hand in these semifinal events as they're calling them. Yeah. yeah. But their schedule also. Yeah. I was going to say, is it all going to be after the open or is it, so where did I see this? I saw this. Um, I saw this posted. I'm gonna try to find it because it was like there was the schedule looks like it was much more condensed. I wonder if it's on CrossFit's Instagram because it was like talking about the 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 semifinals and giving dates as if it's like condensed into a regional esque thing. Like it was across the course of like a couple like weeks. So yeah, I, I don't sweet. Yeah, I don't know. Would you like that? Do you would you like? I don't know if I'm gonna keep trying to find it while you talk, but is that yeah, is, yeah, that so, sounds interesting. That sounds yeah, that sounds fine. Condense it back to a regional S style. Um, but then still give the athletes an opportunity if they want to travel and compete, that still gives us that very cool aspect which a lot of people enjoyed from sanctioned events. Um, and then bringing back the uh affiliate cup, that's interesting. So there won't mm-hmm. be any more super teams unless you all congregate to one gym, right? I guess. Yeah. I mean, again, this is just me reading like the headlines. So I'm not, I haven't researched it too much, but yeah. So the semifinals are going to be the weeks of May 24th to June 14th. So literally like two, two weeks, three weeks. That's crazy. That's we're like, it's like back to regional times. Yeah. You're going to have exciting. That's going to be a buzz. That's going to be a buzz period for the CrossFit community for sure. So I can only assume that means you have one shot to qualify like back to region. Like you can't go to a bunch of different sanctioned events. You have one event that you can go to. Yeah, and then if yeah, you don't you qualify, will. you can go to this last chance event. If you come like second or third, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. Uh, and really dude, I've talked yeah. to so many athletes who are like, if it goes back to that, they're going to be pissed. No, nah, that's cool. No, I, I like it. I like it. You get the opportunity and you rise to the occasion or you do not. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. like you don't, you don't get a second chance it's um it's more like the games and that's how it is so um yeah i think i think that's sweet and i much prefer in face and i've said this a million times i much prefer face-to-face competition mm. than online competition so Big time. yeah it's um yeah it's it's what sport is for me it always has been um being able to and i understand there needs to be a process to be very inclusive worldwide mm-hmm. so yeah the open is necessary mm-hmm. um uh but as a protocol to get through to, you know, a sanctioned event or a regionals style is cool because that face-to-face competition is how sport, I believe, is supposed to be played. It's okay. cool that we can do it online and it is changing, but um, yeah, there's nothing quite like um, being next to your competitors and, and um, you know, edging them out um, mm-hmm. with, with face-to-face strategy rather than, you know, um, just throwing down in, in your comfort zone. I totally agree with that. And I think the, I think the big thing is that being a games athlete is going to be a massive title again. Cause for the last two years, I don't know if you felt this, but like someone tells me they're a games athlete. I'm like, all right, cool. Like you came 400th in the open and you had a passport. Sweet. Good job. Like, you know what I mean? Like you don't, you you didn't know, you didn't know if it was, and all these different events with such varying levels of competition. Like there were people qualifying for the games that like, 
would come 20th at their region a year before you know what i mean so it's like i think the i think the preservation of the title of being a games athlete is going to be back and like is that important i don't know but i think it adds validity to the competition to the sport and then even to you guys like it's going to up your your i don't want to say value that's the wrong word but like when people like by being a games athlete it's going to be much more legit again you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's not going to yeah. be a conversation with a brand of like, oh, this person maybe isn't, maybe they're just a one and done type thing, like whatever. They just got lucky. It's like, that's not going to happen yeah. anymore, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I do agree. I, I agree. I definitely think that having, um, having such a vast mix of like uh, ends of the scale fitness really um, decreases the ability to program uh, ultimately correct for, um for for who is competing it's like if i remember when i played i was young enough to play in the 13s under 13s league and at that time i was playing 15s and 18s football mm-hmm. but when i would go back and play um in the under 13s because that was my age category mm-hmm. um i always played worse because it it just was a different dynamic it'd be yeah. like you know giving you know uh, a top 10 or a top 20 crossfit games athlete a very simple workout and it's you know it's not really testing more than more than just you know cycle speed or something yeah. like that you need to put a little bit more into it to really understand the fitness capacity so yeah i think that works well um you know having you know more of the 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 top echelon of fitness to be tested properly. Um, that works well. Um, and not to say that, um, not to discredit, um, I guess any of the people that have come in the past that, you know, when we had a, a huge pool of like over 300 athletes, that was really cool. And I'm glad I experienced it because mm-hmm. you know, if it doesn't happen again, at least I got to see what it was and it was so much sure. fun. And these people were buzzing the whole time. Like some yeah, of the conversations yeah, yeah. I had, it was just like hectic. That was cool. But you never know, like, that you, you know that could take part and you might be able to see some of that at some lower lower uh, ranked maybe sanctioned style events or you know it might put back on the map um more local competitions because i know when we were having you know upwards of 25 plus sanctioned events um places had to really pick and choose um, when they ran their local comps just because mm-hmm. athletes were always going away for a sanctioned event and it kind yep. of took away um from you know having you know uh, some big names at your local comp again um Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. that'll also allow the the top tier athletes to then go and then be able to meet all these Mm -hmm. other people at these Mm -hmm. different categories because they want to you know sharpen the tools at at some local comps still so that's kind of cool as well yeah it's gonna be interesting man because it's like it's very much now gonna make i think the season very interesting again because mm-hmm. the, it's there's so much like definitiveness to it it feels like like it's like you have to do well in the open you don't have a chance whereas last year like i didn't even sign up for the open let alone really care about paying attention to it because it, yeah. was, it wasn't that cool like it was like whatever yeah. like people weren't taking it seriously because you didn't really need to you could just go to an event and qualify and like most people that was their path whatever or mm-hmm. vice versa the events were boring because top athletes just qualified through the open and then they could just like go to ones they were going to win the most money at but there wasn't necessarily a competition aspect to it yeah. whereas yeah. now it's like you're gonna have less choice like if you're in a region with phrase or a semi-final with fraser like that sucks like good luck go for it yeah. you know and rise yeah. to the occasion yeah. kind of thing 
And there's going to be that like real competition that you can't escape from. Like you can't just be like, Hey, what competition in like Antarctica is having one athlete go to it? Yeah. What, which, uh, which event am I going to put my name to early? So it scares everybody else off. Exactly. Um, No, I do agree. I always, I've always struggled and this is something that I've um, never quite, you know, quite nailed is uh, getting pumped to train for the open. Um, Mm -hmm. I've always been really fired up to train for regionals. I've Mm -hmm. always been really fired up to train for the games. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, psyching myself up to do an online competition. Yeah. I don't know. Something in my brain, like give me anything else. But something in my brain just says, oh, you have to do it. So do it. Um, yeah. But then, you know, I've only ever placed mediocre in, mm-hmm. in the open. Um, I'm not even sure what my best place in the open, but not, you know, typically all that flash. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I do like the idea of bringing it back to that. And I also, you know, I like the idea of, you know, a few opportunities here and there, but nothing crazy um, yeah. and bringing it back to that regionalized style which is going to make those competitions absolutely buzz which is what i missed a lot yeah and i mean i think it's i think that's that's the most important thing of crossfit being considered a legitimate sport is the fact that you have to go through what every athlete other athlete goes through for the most part is those really high pressure in-person situations in order to call yourself one of the fittest and to get that you know acclimation of being a games athlete like you it qualifying straight through the open i always thought was bonkers because it's just like who has the shortest range of motion and who can sprint in a 12 minute amrap like to me that's not athleticism that's one small part of it but like coming from yeah like a sport background like it just there's something to having someone beside you and knowing how to handle that and knowing how to you know actually compete not in the comfort of your own gym at your own time with your own schedule and whatever like we've all gone through like long competition weekends or you're like not quite eating what you want and you're maybe not sleeping super well and all these factors, let alone this pressure of having someone right beside you, learning how to conquer that is like, that's like a champion's mentality. That's like how winners are made. And like, yeah. that's not going to happen if you're just getting this ticket to the, to the final show. Like you see it, anyone who qualifies directly from the open, unless it's like, obviously like a Fraser or whatever, like yeah. the ones who had never qualified for the games before qualify yeah. through the open get to the games it's like a shit show it's just like why like yeah yeah i i tend to agree and it also inhibits um you know a a fair test because uh, multiple times we've seen people crush the uh, crush the open get to a a point where you know they have to submit a drug test and and not do so well which i loathe um and i've said it before but it's just not a it's not a way unless you're going to go through and, and test everybody that's doing their training from home um, because people are going to always push, push the boundaries when it comes to, for them, they're doing it for the wrong reasons and they want, you know, glory and fame and all these mm-hmm. things that that's not what it's about. Um, they will push the boundaries and when money's involved as well, they'll push the boundaries and, you know, that's a, a, a struggle with the open. Um, but do the open take you through to a regional sanctional style, um, you know, test every single athlete and yeah, because I understand it's not feasible to be going around testing 100,000 athletes or mm-hmm. whatever it might be, but, you know, get them through to regionals before, before you get to the games and wean them out there. Um, and, you know, they'll either, you know, just flunk, which you have, if you look at past, um, past 
people that crush the open get to regionals and then flunk regionals for whatever reason, you can just see just, yep. and not just because they've just had an off day, but um, you know, it, it was just uh, you know, uh, a, um, uh, a trend that you could see over the course of years. Um, and then you saw it get exposed eventually when, you know, they decided to push it even further and try and make the games and actually do well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think has to happen to like really legitimize the sport? Because like right now, I think the biggest push should be to have more professional athletes and have you guys as athletes have to be less business E if you don't want to be, you know what I mean? Like in order to be an athlete right now, except for a few you have to be smart in the sense of like, you have, you basically have to run a business. You have to run a sole proprietorship and be an entrepreneur and like understand how to value yourself and sell yourself and work with brands. And it's completely reliant on that because very few athletes can live off of their games winnings. And even if they are living off their games winnings, it's a sketchy way to live because you don't know how you're going to do next year. And if you get injured, you're out of luck or whatever. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, I agree. It does. It does make it tough. And, um, and yeah, there's only a few people that can do it. Um, but yeah, it's, I guess it's, yeah, as it evolves, I think it'll, the pathways will highlight and it'll, it'll be shown. Um, do you think there's any world for like contracts? Like take the UFC, for example, like they oh, have contracts yeah, with yeah. their fighters where it's like, Hey, okay, you're going to be at five UFC cards. We pay you this much. And obviously that's over the course of a couple of years. Like, do you think there could be a thing where like you make the games one year and you do really well? CrossFit then comes at you with like, okay, here's a contract to like, you know, five Mm. seasons of competing. Obviously you still have to go through all the steps and actually qualify to the games, but we're going to like make sure you can train full time and like whatever, like you're, you're a CrossFit games athlete. Now you're on the roster kind of thing. Never have I ever even thought about that, but that is really cool idea. (laughs) That was brain, man. I tell you this brain. Hey, (laughs) That's epic. That's really cool. I've never even thought about that. Like it's mm. not even crossed my mind as a thing, but yes, that sounds super cool. I think moving forward, um, if they could do something like that and, you know, potentially they give out mm, maybe 30 contracts a year. I don't know what it mm-hmm. would be, but mm-hmm. off the top of my head, sure. That would be yep. epic. And, yeah. you know, depending on, you know, how well you go and how consistently well you go, like if you constantly just, you know, get your ass handed to then you probably don't get many fights but yeah um but yeah if you if you rise to the occasion and you can put on a show and you know they make it a little bit more professional in that sense and then you know for the for those elite um uh, competitions that people want to see um you know pay-per-view or whatever it may be Mm -hmm. i guess you know i I think that's a really cool way looking at it and i've never thought of it and i think that would work really really well Mm -hmm. i think it would add incentives to to really hit that upper level because it's like take like just medeiros for example like he came in this year rookie whatever guarantee you he didn't have enough sponsorship to live off or whatever he had like a couple thousand instagram followers then he goes to the games and he comes third and then he just announces yesterday that he's now a rogue athlete he's partnered with rogue and like that's great because now he's set but the problem with that is that like there's so many factors that sponsors go off of and it's not just placement. Cause then you have Sam Quant, poor guy who's like still trying to figure all that stuff out. And he's never, had, he's never been, he talks about it all the time. I'm great buddies with him. He's not super fun with Instagram. And like, yeah. so he has trouble sometimes like yeah. navigating that whole world. Yeah. And it shouldn't yeah. be that it should be like, if you reach that upper echelon and you do something like come on the podium, like the dude, Sam, yeah. ridiculous. like yeah. you should be, you should be set for at least a couple years to, to know that you can just be a games athlete. Like you should get 
Like if you if you come and you make that much noise, the games comes to you, the organization in that case, sweet, like you did this well, we're gonna give you a two-year contract, like whatever, and whatever it is, like it probably wouldn't be a whole lot to start, but it's a two-year contract that'll pay for you to be a full-time athlete. Mm. And then obviously whatever sponsors you get on top of that, great, good for you. But that allows you to then just sink into that, which you have then two years to prove yourself. Because if you come back in two years, you do horrible for both years and you won't get your contract renewed. But if you do really well, then maybe you get a five-year extension and then you're, then you have five more years or whatever, you know? And it's, yeah, I think it would. That's would cool. Yeah. I think that's something that they could look at for sure. Especially if they want to evolve this sport into something more professional where mm-hmm. it becomes a, a thing where the athletes a lot of the athletes just only train mm-hmm. and if they want to do you know tertiary education or you have something up there up their sleeve for later they do that for sure i think that's cool yeah i think that would would solve a lot of issues for not having to have every athlete be an instagrammer or a exactly. youtuber or yep. you know having to do those side hustles like up to them if they wanted to keep doing them yeah mm-hmm. for sure like if that's what they enjoy um, and it, you know, obviously keeps their sponsors happy, then yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. But it also allows those people that, you know, don't want to be in the, in the limelight, except for when they're crushing competition, then yeah, that's great. And it's also, you know, spectator, it's like the time when the spectators get to see what they do. Um, yeah. cause typically I don't get to see a lot of like UFC, tra- like behind the scenes training of any of those mm-hmm. athletes. All you do is you get to see the the big show. Mm-hmm. So you know, if it would, uh, it might make it more interesting and fun. And it, it, it you know, we, I think we would have enough spectators to make that work. I think it would raise the level of competition too, because like, if you look at Fraser, I think is a great example of like, he's had this life where all he does is train. He has no other responsibilities. He doesn't do seminars. He doesn't coach classes. He's never had a job while being a cross the games athlete. He doesn't mm-hmm. do YouTube. He doesn't really do Instagram. He just probably does like the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And he's just trained full time. Now he did that by like living at home and just like having no responsibility, which is fine. And he had a school and everything to fall back on, but that's what he did. But not a lot of people maybe have access to that. Like Sam, again, for example, Sam Quant, he's a dad now. He's a kid. He has a wife. He has a house. He can't just stay at home and do nothing. Like he has to earn money. So if he wants to be a CrossFit athlete, he has to find other ways to do it. I know he was coaching at a gym for a while. He's programming for a gym. Now he has a few sponsors that he has responsibilities for. Like I think by giving athletes a a livable wage or more like an actual professional athlete salary to just be an athlete you would increase the amount of people that can just focus on training and therefore raise their performance level and therefore raise the entertainment of competition like if you want to see someone come out and really challenge Fraser you're probably going to need someone who's able to put in the same amount of time and effort that he is which is 100% like no distractions ever yeah yeah yeah, that's hard I, to manage I agree. right now. I agree. I agree with that. And I think that's, you know, definitely something that, you know, if, if it gets talked about enough, you know, might get on the radar mm-hmm. um, for things to look at in the future, which yeah. would be exciting for me to watch. It probably won't happen in, in my CrossFit career, but, you know, hopefully for people like, you know, Madeiras and things like that, it can. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that's something they want to do because then the, the counter argument to it too is obviously like there are a lot of people who are living that life right now through their outside means. And maybe CrossFit doesn't feel the need to make that investment to like create ownership over it and to really like bring the athletes in. But I just, I really think it, it could be a really cool thing, you know? Definitely. 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 I do agree. It's definitely on the radar. I'll, t- yeah. I'll definitely, I'll definitely keep talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's, we'll see. We'll see. So talk to me about bobsledding, man, because that that seems like absolutely in like when you talk about you're like, oh yeah, if you're okay with crashing. Okay, let's just put that into perspective. You're shooting down this icy tube in a tube at like a yeah. hundred plus miles per hour. You're like, yeah. oh, if you're okay with a crash. What do you mean okay with how can you be okay with a crash? That'd be like, uh, if you're okay getting a car wreck every week, then you can drive a car. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's most people are probably like, no thanks. It's not quite as bad as a car wreck. Um, otherwise, I don't just think as fast. Oh yeah, you go just as fast, but it's like a, it's like a, it's a controlled crash if you had to put it a particular way. Um, right. It's it's not too bad, honestly. The way that I best explained it was like, um, it was like taking a, a decent wipeout surfing um, mm. would be a good way to explain it. Like you don't have control. You come around a corner and you either take the corner you know, you don't execute the corner well and you flip and you flip mm. it upside down. And then basically the bob goes from this to this mm. and you're like back is like skating along the ice and your shoulders are on the ice and you're trying to hold inside the sled and you're just Oy. like, don't let go, don't let go, don't let go. And then your head is just like boom, 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 on the ice, just bang, bang, bang. But it's, <laughs> it's honestly not too bad. It's not that bad. Oh yeah, really. just a little um, CTE on the side. No big deal. <laughs> yeah no it's cool one if you've got a helmet on you're, you're you're quite fine um but you slide for quite a while um when we when i first had my first tip over um at an ec competition a couple of weekends ago um you know we had a fantastic run and i wasn't exposed to uh like a, a bob crash for like five runs down the ice mm-hmm. and then eventually like it was coming like it's you just don't go without it and uh, yeah, we tipped it over and I was like, oh yeah, I can kind of feel what that feels like. And then I was like feeling my shoulder like rubbing against the ice mm-hmm. and uh, I was basically just had a burn shirt and then like a jumper over the top. So just a burn shirt is just something that, you know, um, you know, you get certain burn shirts for if you go motorbike uh, riding mm-hmm. um, and they take up to, you know, 45 Ks an hour roughly um, like gravel, gravel or like t- uh, tar rash or whatever it may be. So you wear one of them just to protect your skin. Um and um, yeah, I was like, oh, that's okay. And I was like, we, we tipped it over and we we're sliding and sliding and sliding. And you're probably tipping at about 95 Ks an hour, uh, roughly, unless you tip right at the end and you might be doing 130. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's a bit spicy on the back of the shoulder. And then I'm just like, oh, it's okay, it's fine. Like five seconds later, I'm just like, okay, it's getting pretty hot. I can't imagine ice getting so hot. And I was like, oh fuck it's getting really fucking hot and then it like started to take off a little bit of skin but nothing bad like you could barely even see it like i thought when we finally stopped and your head is like crushed up like this and you've got your helmet on you can't really breathe all that well because your strap of your helmet's like digging into the bottom of your chin so you're kind of all tucked up and you don't want to get out of the sled um but when you stop i'm just like oh definitely my shoulder's for sure bleeding it's definitely bleeding like it it stung like a you know like a like a knife cut really mm. and then i took my burn shirt off to check and there's nothing there i was just like oh what a bummer like i feel i feel uh i don't know it's like what was i complaining about but um it's really it's not too bad and if you put a little bit of padding on your shoulders and things like that it's not that bad unless you have a you know a bit of a freak accident um mm. there are obviously people that have been injured i spoke to a guy there he like broke some ribs and punctured a lung in a crash at the same track um, at some point, I don't know how it would have happened, but you know, there's always those freak of nature things that, you know, happen or you come out of the back of the sled for whatever reason, or you tip, you high side it or low side it coming around a corner, like 
you know, really badly. You can see how people would get hurt, but, um, you know, if you have a controlled crash, which most of them are, um, you know, that's actually, it's not even that bad, really. So you have a pretty successful CrossFit career. I don't think there's much money in the Olympics, man. What are you doing? No. <laughs> what are no, you doing I, this for? No, You're like, I, ah, I, I might just like, you know, get a punctured rib and, or punctured lung and break a rib, but that's okay. Yeah. Look, um, uh, most things that I do, and I've spoken about this uh, in recent times because someone also said that. Um, and most of the things that I'll do, I'll do for the experience. It's about, you know, my curiosity towards trying something new, how it's going to feel. Um, and it's not just all... Um, for me, just about, you know, going to CrossFit and, and just being, you know, um, my identity as a CrossFit athlete. It's mm -hmm. for me, it's about progression and my experience and the memories that I create and the fun that I have. And typically by nature, I'm, I'm curious and mm -hmm. I love variety. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll do anything that's intriguing to me and I'm not going to wrap myself in cotton wool just because um, you know, I'm, you know, expected to go to the CrossFit games. Um, but if you'd asked me this five years ago, um, I probably, I wouldn't have risked myself back then, but now this would be my 10th CrossFit season or my 11th CrossFit season. Um, now to me, it's, um, there's, there's, you know, I still love it and I still want to compete and do things like that, but, um, it's not the be and all end all for me. Um, I have other things that I would, you know, love to, compete in and see how well I go and push my boundaries and test my curiosity and create new experiences and, you know, doing another one or two seasons of CrossFit or, um, you know, trying something completely new while I have the ability to do it mm -hmm. um, at the age that I am and, and uh, with the athleticism that I currently have. Um, why not? Like I, I would see that as a, as a cool opportunity um, rather than a risk to my CrossFit career. Um, so for me, it's, the, it's, it's almost a no-brainer. I'll try as many things as I possibly can while I can. Listen, man, I love that. And I'm right there with you. Like, that's been my whole life too. It's like, if, I, if there's something I want to do, I just do it. And I jump all in and all like, it doesn't matter. I don't think about yeah. anything else. It's like, if I'm fixated on this and I want to do it, I do it. And I love that. I think so many people get so wrapped up in, yeah, like putting themselves in a plastic bubble. But it's like, one of the coolest things about being a CrossFit athlete, a high-level CrossFit athlete, is you get, a good amount of exposure and you probably through that get a good amount of opportunity yeah and opportunities that aren't going to come around 10 years after you retire from the sport because crossfit at least right now is not like you're an nba all-star like you know mm -hmm. there's very few people that are going to retire from crossfit and in 10 years still have the same opportunities handed to them day in and day out that they might be getting right now so that's why yeah. wouldn't you take advantage of some of that stuff like some of it's yeah. so cool you know yeah totally like there is plenty of sports that i look at now that I'm just like, oh, look, I wouldn't mind having a go at. And, you know, if I'm, if I have the ability and, you know, I, I would be, you know, decent at it, then yeah, I'll have a go and I'll try and represent as high as I possibly can. That's like anything that I've ever tried to do with any sport is I, I, if I enjoy something, I want to be good at it. Um, I like to, I like to sharpen the tools in, in those areas that make me happy. And, um, I think there is, yeah, there's still a couple more sports that I would like to test my ability in, um, whether they go anywhere or don't. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious about it. So, yeah, I would have a crack at them uh, regardless of, you know, what, um, you know, outside expectations may be on what I should do. Um, 
but yes, again, it's, it would be a different story if you'd asked me early on in my CrossFit career. Um, mm-hmm. You have to go to a point if you want to get to the top level in something, you will have to go for a very long time. Um, just, uh, yeah, just digging away at, at one thing. Mm-hmm. But now CrossFit has given me a lot of tools to work with and there's a lot of cool sports. So um, yeah, I will, I will, yeah, I'll chuck my hat in the ring for just about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that, man, because like people talk about CrossFit and you compare it to like weightlifting. They're like, oh, it's so great because you get to do something different every day. But like step back and look at it. Like, no, you don't. You're in the gym. You're going to the gym every day and lifting weights and doing pull-ups. You're not doing something different every day. If you want to do something different, yeah, go hop in a bobsled, go run a triathlon, go play a sport that involves a ball. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there is so many different ways to express yourself and your fitness and like... Mm at the end of the day, what you're doing in CrossFit theoretically was originally made to just make you better at all these other things to use it on. Like you're just training. Yeah. In CrossFit, yeah. you're training to train and the sport is the expression of that training. Yeah, true. But also it's like originally for every other sport in the world, it was just like the one day of the week that you then used to push you towards developing this other thing. Yeah. Well, that's how it started for me. Um, it started as the, trying doing it to get better at football, the rugby. Mm-hmm. So, and then I went into obviously competing in that in, in CrossFit. And now I'm kind of just looking at other things that are intriguing and being like, oh, that's, that's interesting. And I had such a good time doing the, um, doing the long triathlon that I was like, I was like, why don't I try some other, some other things that tickle my fancy? And, mm-hmm. you know, one day bobsled popped up and I was like, what's required? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I could probably do maybe some of that those things decently well um why don't i just send an email and ask a couple of questions and then yeah i'm curious to see what happens so Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah next thing you know i'm i'm here in amsterdam dude life is cool in that way like the amount of things that can happen when you're open like i think so many people especially young people people our age are so indoctrinated to think that it's like you go to high school from there, you go to university, you get a degree, you start in that job, you're in that job for the next 25 years. Like there's a place in life and it could be your whole life for some people, but at the very least, there's a place in life that I think a lot of people are realizing like in your twenties and in your early thirties, even in your late thirties to some extent where you don't have, you don't need to do that. Like you can just take life as it comes and you, you can, like you can make it work and there's so many different ways if you're a little bit into in ingenuitive i don't know what that word is but like if you're a little bit creative with how you do things like there are so many ways to to live your life the way you want like theoretically i could call myself a full-time professional athlete right now because really all i have to do is work out and i get paid for it and that's pretty much it like yeah i film and i put it on the internet but like at the end of the day like if i just wanted to really only film my training i could probably get away with it like, yeah. I, you know what I mean? That's not what I want to do. I like this stuff. Yeah. I like documentarian stuff. I like a whole wide range of stuff. But like people would think maybe, okay, a professional athlete, you have to be really good at the sport you're doing. Well, it's like, I'm not yeah. really good at the sport I'm doing. And I'm kind of a professional athlete. Like the same brands that sponsor you guys also sponsor me. And yeah. <laughs> but I'm yeah. not very good. <laughs> like it just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's ways, there's ways, what I'm trying to say is like, there's ways to, to make these crazy things and dreams and pursuits work. Totally. And totally. it's just about being open to these different opportunities and, and yeah. not being scared to like maybe have a little bit of uncertainty at mm. certain points 
in order to experience this breadth of things that when you're sitting down at the point, if you decide to settle down, whatever that looks like, you can look back on this vastness of, of opportunity and experience that you've garnered over the past years. And like, how meaningful is that going to be versus like the people who like the biggest fear I have in life is to sit, not the biggest, one of the biggest fears is to ever sit back and be like, I wish I did that. What yeah. would that have oh. been like? Like how 100%. scary is that? Cause you can't get that back. Never. You try something, yeah. you fail, great. You learn from it, you move on and you can look yeah. back on it. But yeah. if you never try something that you really want to try. Yeah, it's, yeah. I talk about it with a mate of mine all the time and it's like, we want to go at some point. We want to train like, and I'm by no means a great, I'm a hack, um, but I do really enjoy it. And I've been yeah. doing it ever since I was like eight years old, but I've never been great. Mm -hmm. um, I've got mates of mine who they would even say that they're not great, but I think they're great surfers. Right. Um, but yeah, my skills are, are not that great, but I'm willing to have a go. Um, and so at some point, like before that my time is done, I want to go surf some, some decent sized waves, some stuff mm -hmm. that, you know, really makes me think twice um, hardcore about what I'm about to do. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there's, that would be a thrill that, I can't go without. And mm -hmm. so, you know, preparing for that, learning how to deal with what I'm about to deal with, um, getting taught by some professionals on, and, on what to do and, and making sure breath work is on point, making sure my ability is on point. And, you know, CrossFit does help a lot with a lot of these things. A lot of it's physical, but there is a mental aspect to it that I'd have to work on before going and doing that. Sure. But that's a, an experience that not a lot of people get to experience. Um, because it is quite risky, mm -hmm. but something that I would like to have in my memory bank to think about and to, to, you know, help, you know, create the way that my brain evolves, the way that I feel and think. Dude, it, surfing is a beautiful thing. Like I started surfing when we moved out here like a year, year and a half ago. I don't know if you've ever heard of Tofino, British Columbia. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's one of the better cold, as far as I'm aware from this book I have. <laughs> Right here, fifty yeah. places to surf before you die. Um, as Sick. far as as far as I've read yeah, in that, yeah, that book, <laughs> yeah, it's a good book. Um, as far as as far as that, what I've read there and other places, it's one of the better cold water surfing destinations out there. And it's just like I don't know. There's something about being in the water, and like it sounds weird to say, but it's like a spiritual thing. It's like a connection to like the world that I've never experienced before. And I'm not one of those people that like would say that about anything. Like I'm not, I'm not going out and meditating and doing stuff like not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just, I've never been able to do that. This yep. is the first time where I just like through no intention was like, mm. whoa, I feel like connected to something right now. Yeah, it, it does. It, it does that. Um, during my uh, period of, you know, my CrossFit career, when I was trying to crack it, all I would do was just train, go to the gym and train, go to the gym and train. Mm -hmm. And then I lost contact with surfing with my buddies and mm -hmm. getting in the water. And then 2020 comes around and uh, we get locked down where we're still allowed to go for a surf, but things are closed. Mm -hmm. I did more surfing in two months than I did in the last eight years. And I felt so at peace and so happy for doing it. Yeah, like it was just next level. I was just like, oh my God, what have I been missing out on? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was, that was a, a tipping point. So now I, I'm probably trying to get in a wave at least once or twice a week, if I can, if there is surf swell around, but when there's swell, I'll, I'll go for a surf. And if it means you know, missing a, a, a conditioning session or something like that. And yeah, so be it. 
Yeah, man. I mean, life's short. And like, I totally get when you're at the cusp of this goal of qualifying for the CrossFit Games and you have to dedicate your whole self. That's fine. And that's, that's an experience you're choosing to have. But like, for the general population, the, the one thing that I find weird about CrossFit is how many people like me pretend they're CrossFit Games athletes and like all they're willing to do is go to the gym and they do two a days and they are super strict with their nutrition and they just they cut out all of these potential experiences because they're just obsessed and it's like maybe part of the cultish nature of, of CrossFit which is like fine you're getting healthy I guess mm. but like yeah. even I've fallen victim to that like this past year mainly because of lockdown there was like not a whole lot to do so I was like hey I'll like try because I was training on Decacom and I was like yeah. I'll try to maintain the competitor's track like do the whole thing and like see how fit I can get and yeah. I did that for a while and like, it was great, but like the rest of my life suffered. Like the rest of my life sucked. Like I was so tired all the time. I had to eat way too much. It messed up my digestive system. Like there's just, there was, and I didn't want to do anything fun. Like I didn't want to go for a hike. I, I live in Vancouver, British Columbia. It's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And there's yeah. so much, there's mountains, there's ocean, there's like everything you could possibly want. And I'm sitting here in like a basement being like, no, I just want to sit. Like, what is that? That's yeah. like when you don't, I don't have a goal of going, I've never had a goal of being a top level competitor. I was just doing it mainly for content, like I said, but like you ask yourself, like, wait, why are you doing this? Like, this is not worth it. Like there's so many other yeah. better yeah. things that you can do, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, it'll last for so long and then yeah. eventually the tether will run thin and you'll, you'll try something or you'll do something or you'll experience something else that you're just like, Oh my God, this is cool. Yes. And you know, there, the, yeah, there's no one and no one has ever done everything. So there's always something that'll tickle your fancy um, that, you know, is, is definitely worthwhile doing and it, it will help with self-development as well, rather than just locking yourself in a, in a gym day in, day out for your entire life. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. a period of time where it does work, but um, yeah, as you said, it is tough and you do have to sacrifice a lot if you do want to be, at the CrossFit games, like you, you, you sacrifice social time, you sacrifice a lot of things, especially if you want to be the best. Mm -hmm. And that is an experience in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there are, for me now, um, there are things out there that I still want to get my, get my hands on. So yeah, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep all the, uh, all the barriers down to experience as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've done it. You've been to the games. You've become really high level placement at the games. Like you're considered one of the better games athletes in the world. Like that's, you've checked that box. So like, why not? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you said, why not? Why not pursue these other things? Cause I can only assume there's like a top of the mountain experience where you reach the summit and you're like, all right, view's kind of cool up here, but like what now? Like, yeah. you know what I'm here. <laughs> what like, what, what, yeah, yeah what exactly. What other peaks are there? What other mountains are there? Where else can mm. I go? And what else can yeah. I conquer? Like there's, there's definitely personality types that I think we, you and I probably share that are just like, yeah, you, I, I don't like, yeah, I don't want to be the best at something. I want to get to as good as I can be. And then once I'm just about to be the best, I want to go try and be the best at something else. Mm, like it was yeah. the same thing with all the sports I ever played. Like as soon as I would reach a high level near national level of a sport, I would just quit and start another sport. Cause I was like, all right, yeah. done it. Like I'm bored now. Yeah. I want to do something else see what else I can yeah, do. I can understand that. Yeah, you know? for sure. So like, that's why I love doing this because it's like, I have all of these different things I can, I can pull from. And by having this base of content, it's like, as my interests change, I can evolve the content to fit it and like do a bunch of different things. You know what I mean? It can always be kind of evolving and changing. And that's one thing that draws me to it. I love obviously the process of creating content and stuff like that too, though. 
But yeah. in general, I think I just love the flexibility that this lifestyle brings. Totally, totally. And yeah, that, that flexibility gives you, gives you opportunity to go and experience lots of different things. And that's what I like about it too. Being able to work from anywhere in the world, it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's dope, man. And like just being able to do things like have these conversations with people. Like I love doing this in the podcast because it's like, I just love hearing and learning and sopping up what you have to offer and the experiences you've had in life because they're going to directly shape what I have coming forward with like whatever you were just talking about, like hearing you talk about surfing so much. I'm like, you know what? I got to get back to Tofino. You know, I got to do it. Like I got to make myself do it. Like it's a bit of a pain in the ass to get there, but I got to do it. And like, you know, and you just, you build, if you're open to doing that, like you never know where experience is going to come from and where, you know, uh, inspiration is going to be drawn from. So like, that's just, yeah, that's so much of what I love about this is like the connection with people and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, meeting new people, having different perspectives and learning and evolving from other people's, um, you know, uh, experiences as well um, mm-hmm. that can help kind of shape the path that you take. I think that's really cool. And I think, you know, if you're having a really good time doing it, then, you know, you're probably doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to be open, man. Like, that's one of the things I've learned, too, is like, I can't close myself off to like, okay, I'm going to upload this many videos a week of this type and this many videos of this type and whatever. Like, I want to be open, like, and that Mm -hmm. extends to way more in life than just creating Mm -hmm. videos, but like being open to having conversations with people, being open to trying new things, having new opportunities, whatever. Cause there are so many people who like approach conversations. Like I know more than you, what I know Mm -hmm. is right. And what you know is wrong. My life right now is right. Your life is crazy. You know? Whereas like, if you just open yourself up to like, there's something I can learn from everyone and every interaction in life, you become this sponge of experience and opportunity that then again, can, can propel you in whatever direction. Mm, I agree. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that's the cool thing about it. And if you can have an open mind, then you're, you're probably going to have a lot of cool experiences. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I want to talk about, speaking of open mind is I want to hear about your diet because recently... Yeah or I don't know about recently, but semi-recently, you switched over to a plant-based diet, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, correct. Explain that to me, like motivation and and kind of what it looked like when you first started it. Yep. So I've probably been doing it maybe 18 months now, uh, roughly, roughly 18 months, maybe a little bit less. Um, And yeah, I've, you know, I've always thought for probably the last like seven or eight years, it's something that I want to do. Um, I would always, uh, I would notice myself um, physically um, avoiding, uh, you know, seeing particular practices. Like if something was shown in front of me of any type of animal cruelty or abuse, I just couldn't watch it. And I would uh, hide away from what was being, what was happening in, in the industry. And I got to a point where, you know, I pulled up in a car at a set of traffic lights and I looked to beside me and I saw um, a bunch of sheep all stuffed in the back of a, a truck and they were just, you know, all cramped up heads like half sticking out of the truck and, you know, not a lot of room and it, yeah, it just made me upset. It just, mm-hmm. it really just kind of like hit me. And I was like, at that point in time, um, I'd been playing with the idea more and more and more. And um, yeah, I decided just not to, not to hide it away in the back of my mind and, and try and not think about it and pretend it's not happening and I kind of just made the decision on the spot and yeah, I just said, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm not going to partake in um, eating any animal products, um, any meat, any dairy, any fish, any, anything that comes from an animal. I'm not going to do it because I don't want to support 
um, I didn't want to support an industry that, um, you know, uh, took advantage of, of animals' lives. It just wasn't something that I was interested in supporting. Um, I, I believe that uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of people that, you know, don't see animals as, you know, like living things or that, you know, have a, have a, have a voice um, and they just treat them as a, as a consumable. And yeah, I just don't think that's right. Especially when, you know, I look at all the pets that we have, we foster kittens at our house. We have like, at the moment, I think there's 11 kittens there. We have like two, two of our dogs. And I just, I don't see the difference between, you know, treating them poorly or treating a cow poorly or a chicken poorly or, or something that you would see as a lesser animal um, for a lot of people don't see any of these animals as, you know, pets or other, you know, they don't see them on par. And I do, I, I feel very much like, you know, they should all be treated equally and they should be treated well and they, they shouldn't have to live a particular way just to be consumed by humans. So that's just the way it's, it, it feels right for me. And so I just made the decision um, to, to no longer do it. Did you ever consider supporting like pasture raised farming and like free range animals, like actually like from a local farm, not like free range on the box, but like cattle grazing grass their whole life, wild? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, definitely. Like it, it crossed my mind. Um, but then um, the way that I, I look at it is do I need it? Do I need do I need to end that animal's life to, to survive and to, 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 to thrive? It, like if it, was, if it was a point that a human had to eat it to actually survive mm-hmm. um, and to, to be able to function properly, then you'd probably have to say yes. Mm-hmm. But we, well, I don't. Um, I haven't had any meat for close to 18 months. I haven't had any animal products for 18 months and, I'm stronger than I've ever been in my entire life. Um, and I feel great. I sleep well. Um, I can maintain a conversation. I feel just as good. I wouldn't say that I feel like a superhuman better than I did before, but mm-hmm. I feel the same. Like I've just chosen to eat um, a different from different protein sources, just coming from plants. And, you know, I feel fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. So if I don't have to cause pain to another animal, mm-hmm. then I, I absolutely won't. Like uh, the, I want to cause as little, as little damage and as little pain to anything I possibly can while I'm on the planet. And mm-hmm. that's something that I came to the decision of 18 months ago. And I don't need, I don't need animals or animal products to live and, and to live really well and to also still chase the things that I want to do. And that's being a competitive athlete. And I think that, sometimes can be one of the most you know physically um demanding things and yeah i can i can you know wholeheartedly say that you can do it and without changing a bunch except you know replace your your chicken for for tempeh and your beef for for tofu and your fish for lentils and and um all those other things um and you'll be quite fine um Mm. It's yeah, that's, that's when it comes to like, if, if I had, if someone brings up, oh, what about pasture? It's like, okay, that's probably, you're giving the animal a better life um, up until the point where you end it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also ask myself the question, do, why would I, why would I eat it? Like mm-hmm. what, is, what, is, what am I looking for there? And I wouldn't eat it for the taste mm-hmm. and I wouldn't eat it 
um, unless I really, really had to. And mm-hmm. I absolutely don't. I absolutely don't. So I, mm-hmm. so I, I won't. Yeah, no, it's cool. I think, I think um, part of the reason maybe why we don't have to and why in Western civilizations we're able to make the choice, because there are lots of people like, you're right, it's not a necessity anymore. Like there was a time where, you know, in order to survive, we had to binge on kills when we were able to make them. But for a long time, we weren't able to make them and we'd have to go on plants, whatever. But you're right, that's definitely not the case. I wonder if, you know, the reason why that's not the case, though, is because of factory farming for fruits and plants and vegetables. Like our ability to, during the agricultural revolution, to bring up grains and legumes and soybeans and corn and do so at a scale that can feed the population because the sheer volume of corn, soybeans, whatever that you need to sustain is, is quite high relatively. And, you know, the, the factory farming world for vegetables on a lot of levels can be just as destructive, I think, as, you know, factory farming animals in the sense that you're, you're clean cutting forest, you're spreading out across so much land there's a lot, and believe me, I, I'm, I'm not talking about the vegetables that you and I probably eat, but, but the vegetables yeah. that you get at the supermarket, just like the meat that you get at the supermarket, yeah. it's being sprayed with stuff that's killing the soil. The soil that it's growing on yeah. is horrible. The, the ecosystem the that runs, and, yeah, yeah. The, the ecosystem totally. that runs off that soil, the animals that used to graze on those lands are being distraught. Like, I've heard a good amount, I'm just interested to get your thoughts on it, on, uh, of that side of it, because the push for more people to go on a plant-based diet there are definitely a lot who are doing it the great way, which is like growing a garden or shopping from like a local farm. Totally. totally. But there's a lot who are going to the supermarket and increasing yeah. the demand for soybeans and corn, which are some of the most detrimental plants to the, yeah, to the world. Totally. Well, um, there's, a, there's a new documentary coming out called Vegan 2020, and it does talk a lot about um, how much of the plants that we grow actually goes towards like the croplands over the whole you know, over the whole planet, mm-hmm. how much of those actually go towards human consumption and how much actually go towards feeding Animals. the livestock that we have. And I think roughly, like people talk a lot about the soy and how much soy is produced for humans. And roughly mm-hmm. it's about 6% of mm-hmm. the soy that we produce goes towards human consumption. And the rest, typically another, I think it was maybe 70 odd percent goes towards feeding animals um, and the rest towards other things like fuels and things like that. Sure. Yep. So if you were to look at it from a point of view that um, if we started t- uh, using practices that was regenerative towards the soil yes. and, Love you know, regenerative, like using the, the pastures for animals to graze on and they can, mm-hmm. you know, they can, um, you know, put um, fertilizer back into the ground naturally mm-hmm. and then, you know, um, shift them around to different paddocks. So they do have places to roam and then you're not just grading the soil and releasing carbon into the atmosphere and, and just uh, destroying the, the quality and the purity of the soil and then spraying it with a bunch of different pesticides, which does run off into the water system for sure. Mm-hmm. If we had better practices, which we do have, mm-hmm. it's just about education. And I think if we were to put more time and effort as a whole into teaching these practices to evolve instead of, mm-hmm. you know, still using practices that are harmful to the environment, then mm-hmm. we're heading in the right direction. And I'm not saying that everyone should go plant-based overnight because it's not mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, but I think there are things that we can definitely learn from, you know, listening to podcasts and 
watching films like 2040, which I think is great if you haven't seen it. I think 2040 is really cool, which does talk about practices that we actually have today if that we did put in place right now could really change the outcome of the way that our planet and humans interact as a whole species and, and things that would actually help us, you know, um, decrease uh, carbon emissions and, and, you know, go towards healing the planet rather than mm -hmm. still destroying it. So I think it's education and it's honestly, it's like what we we're talking about before. It's keeping your mind open to possible possibilities all the time. Um, it's not just, you know, this is how we've always done it. So this is the right way because there are plenty of things that we used to do that we now do not do mm -hmm. because that was so terrible. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think it's about keeping an open mind, learning, um, teaching other people and really having a look at, you know, these big studies that a lot of people are doing to, you know, figure out ways that we can increase the health of our planet and, you know, listening to, you know, it might be painful for some people, but, you know, for me, it was really painful to see some of the things that I had to see to really change my mind about what I wanted to do and, and where my values really lie. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, go watch, watch a film. Um, and then if you really want to um, look at the data um, and see whether all these studies are, you know, correct, because there are plenty of studies out there that obviously aren't peer reviewed and, and not looked at you know, scientifically, which I think is important, mm -hmm. you know, that a lot of these places now wouldn't even put themselves out there without having, you know, a, a good pile of studies to look at and, and mm. studies that aren't funded by people that are looking for a particular outcome too, because mm -hmm. you can find information on anything that you want to believe. You can find great information on why the earth is, earth is flat and, yeah, and totally. you know, why there are already, you know, um, people living on Jupiter and rah, 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 whatever mm -hmm. you want to, out. but you know i think just keep an open mind um and be willing to learn and and don't just get stuck on you know tradition because you know traditions in a lot of areas aren't great mm -hmm. so yeah i do i do understand what what you mean and and definitely a lot of the agriculture that we have today even the, the plant growing ones can be very harmful to the environment but mm -hmm. there are 100 ways that we can live without causing harm to the environment or as little harm as we possibly can to survive mm -hmm. um, as well as being compassionate towards animals at the same time um, in the same instance. I, understand. I can, I can understand both. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think regenerative farming is one of the coolest things on planet earth and 100% I think is, is a path towards a healthier planet and a healthier ecosystem in general. And, my biggest thing is I'm all about I'm anti-factory farming on all fronts. I'm anti-factory farming for animals for both the ethical reasons, but then also the amount of crap that you're ingesting through what the animals are being fed. And then also on the flip side, just as against factory farming for, for vegetables and for fruits that are killing like environments and plants and all that kind of stuff. I think that there should be a balanced approach potentially moving forward to to it and i think that if we were all to go vegan we would have just as many problems as if we were all to go meat because by going all meat and having such a big portion of our diets having been meat which i don't agree with i don't think meat products should be a massive the biggest portion of your of your daily caloric intake but or maybe not your daily caloric intake but just overall volume on your plate mm -hmm. But the push to have more meat products, fast food, all this kind of stuff, that's what led to factory farming with animals. That's what led to feeding animals corn and soybeans to then prop them up and having to give them antacids because they're getting a heartburn to that and stop eating. But we have to curb that. So we're giving cows tongues, which is like absolutely bonkers. 
Um, and you know, that led to that problem. I think if everyone went vegan overnight, we'd probably face a similar problem with plants and we'd have a hard time doing things like regenerative soil. And I think I kind of assimilated it to California recently put out this thing where they want to stop the sale of gas powered cars by like 2025 or 2026 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So basically you can't buy a gas car. And it's like the argument against that is like California is obviously a very small part of the world. So it's not going to have this impact. But if, if that's a, if that's a practice that was adopted on a large scale and everyone went electric, the problem with going all one way, if you go all electric is like, think about all the mining of the lithium. Like how are you going to make all those batteries? And then where's that power coming from? Because most of the power we get, especially in North America is from fossil fuels. So you're still going to have to mine those fossil fuels. It's going to be a greater demand because it's going to be more power consumed. So I think in general, people get really maybe polarized and a balanced approach can sometimes be, a, a good way forward because you, I, sure. I think there is a natural yin and yang to the universe and like sure. there are certain amount of certain things that have to happen because the other like i'm a big fan of for animal consumption hunting like getting as wild as it can go like if you if i can eat nothing but an animal that was hunted one elk and it can last me and my family a year that is what i would want to do like that to me is the least impactful way on the environment to consume animal proteins yeah but obviously not everyone's doing that and that's not the reality for for big cases so i'm right there with you on like the anti-factory farming stuff but yeah what do you think about kind of the balanced approach and how maybe if we skewed too much one way it could impact yeah totally um i i definitely think that there that, that potentially is a balanced approach like i'm 100 percent not saying i have all the answers i have very little answers um I'm currently doing what feels right for me, but I definitely think there would be some type of uh, potential balance approach. And, and I don't know all the outcomes. I guess we'd have to look at long-term impacts and, and get some really good brains involved mm -hmm. to look at what, what we could simulate being the future and how we see it progressing to be, you know, not only good um, for a species as a whole, but also good for the planet at the same time. And, you know, it very way, it very um, might well be that it is a balanced approach. And, um, and yeah, I don't have the answers to all of those things, but it very well could be um, for me at the moment. Um, and for as far as I can tell, um, it feels right for me to, to not do it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, as I said, look, I think doing that would be a better option then yes, going in and uh, buying from the supermarket, like you said, mm -hmm. um, that would be a better option. Mm -hmm. Still not the option I would take, but because mm -hmm. yeah. um, I couldn't do it. I, yep. I just could not live with myself, but yeah. um, it's just the way that I feel internally about it. But it is, I would say, a better option than, you know, just going, because I, I think people disassociate the connection between what they're buying on the shelf when it's totally. cut up into a piece and what it actually was and what it looked like prior. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, as you said, I think if, if people were to go out and to do that, and if you were to go and hunt an elk, um, I think a lot of people would really struggle. Um, but doing what I did before, which was, you know, um, kind of shy away from knowing actually what the processes were, how they're treated, what they actually have to do, the storage facilities that they're kept in, um, mm -hmm. I think that would really turn a lot of people off um and yeah it, it may be a balanced approach more like that i'm i'm definitely not sure um but yeah you're quite potentially right i mean i would i would love to say that 
in order to get the meat card, a card that allows you to eat meat, you need to first go into the woods and you need to kill an animal and, and feel what that feels like. Because I think, I think what it does, it sounds funny, but what it does, like when you, when that happens, when that, that experience happens, it's very primal. It's very like you're, you, you all of a sudden, again, it's like kind of the surfing reference. Like you become very connected to what just happened and you see what that animal just gave up or what you forced it to give up in order to, to fuel and to put stuff into your body and the energy transfer that's going to happen. The respect for the meat is so much more than, like you said, the disassociation of going to a superstore and yeah. buying a steak. You have no connection to that. It's just a piece of meat sitting on a shelf. Yeah. But when you stalk for hours and, and crouch through and it's this primal thing, this hunt, just like it happens in the wilderness, right? With, with other yeah. animals in the animal kingdom, you're part of that. You put yourself in there and you execute it. That animal becomes sacred. Like that is something. And, and hunters don't waste. Like hunters are at least a lot of them are, you know, you eat everything. You eat the organs, you eat every part of yeah, the animal and, and you, you consume every bit of it. That's going to, you know, be able to benefit you. And it, it gives you, yeah, much better respect for what's actually happening when you're doing that. Yeah. Um, I think the disassociation is a huge problem. I totally agree with that with people yeah. who could just go to the store and buy a piece of meat and not understand what's happening. Because I, I think there are very few people on earth that, that could see, and I'm one of them, could see a factory farm in real life and be okay with mm. that. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. If, if, you can, if you can look at it and you think it's okay, there's, in my opinion, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, completely. exactly. Yeah, like, like it's it, like there's no absolutely no there's no uh, there's no absolutely zero compassion there. Yeah, um, just to be putting something through you know torture just for consumption for your own personal gain. It just doesn't seem like the you know just the naturally right thing to do. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I, I do agree. Like um, yeah, I I couldn't go out and hunt anything. It just yeah, I would rather. I would rather find a little bit of land, grow all my own fruits and vegetables in my mm -hmm. backyard as mm -hmm. best I possibly can and, and trade, trade with my neighbors who grow better than me mm -hmm. and, um, and, and live that way. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree. If, if you, I think if, if you wanted to, if every person out there wanted to still continue eating their meat, then yeah, like I think, yeah put them to the test and i think you would see a, a very high number a very high percentage of those people decide mm, it's not for me yeah well i mean it's just the biggest thing too for a lot of people to realize is is the quality of the meat you're getting when it comes from those horrible places like there's a big difference between a cow that has been stuffed with grain and corn and soy versus an elk that has been out in the wild running around eating grass and grubs and everything it's been doing for the last you know 30 years and it goes back to that. You can look at it as an energy transfer, or you can actually just look at it as what it is, is that you're eating what they're eating. And mm -hmm. like understanding, like in order to fatten up a cow in a factory farm setting and you're feeding it corn soy, that's not what it grew up to eat. That's not what is, that's not what its gut is made to process. It's a single leaf organism. It's meant to eat grass and leaves and that's it. And by adding in these things, these two leaf plants, like the corn, the soy, all that, they literally have to give, there's not an exaggeration, they have to give them calcium phosphate, they have to give them Tums, they have to put Tums in their feed because they realized when they started factory farming that these cows would stop eating because they were getting heartburn. And those are things that are being, then being processed in a way that's not natural to the animal and that's leading to an expulsion of what's happening. Like people look at it and they're like, oh, well, 
because this is true also, the nutrition facts, nutrition content of factory farm beef versus grass-fed beef is very indistinguishable. There's not a whole lot different. What's different is what you're not getting. It's not what you're getting, it's what you're not getting. So by eating an animal that was grass-fed, pasture-raised, you're not getting all of the crap that was stuffed into it for all those years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we can definitely understand that too, for sure. Yeah, it's fascinating. Where do you sit on, because you talked about um, lentils and you talked about beans and what was the, what was the other one you mentioned? You, uh, you to- yeah, like tofu. tofu and tempeh, yeah. Where do you sit on, like, do you know much about like lectins and like lectin proteins and mm-hmm. all that? Like what, how has that been digestively for you? Because I know there's a lot of people who have issues processing like soy and corn and lentils and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think if you, for me, I've never had an issue with it. Um, but I think if you look at the process in which you were to prepare is probably is, is quite key. Like if you mm, can soak, yep. soak those things and, and um, you know, sprout them, sprouting is fantastic. Um, we have a little sprouting station at home. It sits on the windowsill. Mm. Um, so you can sprout too. Um, you can soak them. Um, and then if you can get good quality, like organic tempeh and tofu and things like that um, and prepare it well, um, yeah, I've never had any digestive issues with it. Um, and then there are times when, you know, like we, you know, might have something a little bit out there and we might have like a Beyond Burger or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that never typically sits like super well on me. Sure. Um, yeah. But I can understand how other people are a lot more sensitive than I am as well. Mm-hmm. Um, even before when I was, you know, drinking milk and, and doing all those things, I never had really any digestive issues. So um, I might be, you know, a case where you know most things work quite well with me mm-hmm. um, or I don't particularly notice um, the effects as much but I think for people that are struggling to find things that or they have really temperamental um, you know guts then mm-hmm. yeah looking at your preparation I think is key yeah. um, and I think that will probably go the same way like I know some people can't really handle very raw meat but mm-hmm. they like it super well cooked and some people like mm-hmm. it medium. And I think like with the, the lentils and the beans and things like that, look at the things that you can do to prepare them to break down um, a lot of those things that don't quite work well for their gut. Mm. I'm a quarter of the way through a book called The Plant Paradox by Dr. Mm-hmm. Stephen R. Gundry. Have you read that book or do you know that book? No, I haven't. I haven't. I, have, I think I've heard about it. Though. Yeah, it's fascinating. I picked it up because I'm just like, nutrition is my thing. Like I love nutrition more than anything else on this planet. And I spend my time, my free time researching and I just love it. It's so fascinating to me. And I'm very not married to anything I'm doing. Like I'm very open with it and I want to, I love experimenting. And so I picked the book up because it sounded like initially it was probably just going to be something against like plant foods based off the title. And I was like, oh, okay, let's learn. Cause I've list- recently been listening and um, studying a bunch of vegan doctors talking about, you know, vegan diets to reverse heart disease and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, let's go on the other side. But it's actually pretty cool. Cause it's not at all anti-plant. It's this guy who is a cardiothoracic surgeon for like 20 plus years at the Loma Linda hospital, which is like one of the more prestigious hospitals in an area of the world. That's like famously known for being one of the blue zones and on a vegetarian diet whatever and he left his job because he started reversing heart disease through diet as opposed to surgery right and he did it through this thing that he calls the plant paradox program and again i'm only a quarter of the way through the book but it's it's addressing certain problems in both animal and plant foods that digestively cause long-term distress so like 
things like weight gain, but then also everything from like type two diabetes, chronic disease, all that kind of allergies, sinus stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. And big, the big push so far has been, yeah, just about the, the inflammation or inflammatory effects of certain foods, specifically lectins, um, and how they can affect your digestive wall, like tear it apart, causing leaky gut because they mimic insulin and they can bind, but they never remove from the receptors and just like very interesting stuff. But it's, it's looking at different foods that we maybe were taught as healthy Mm-hmm. and expanding kind of on ideas of that. So it's a fascinating read. And I think it's just a lot of people make very blanket assumptions on food. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they're yeah. like, this quinoa is healthy. Quinoa is <laughs> yeah. healthy. Quinoa is yeah. the best. You know what I mean? Quinoa is a, if you go to a healthy restaurant where they make bowls, they'll give you quinoa instead of rice because quinoa is better than rice. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, there are a lot That's of good aspects. Of, there's, yeah, there's a lot of good aspects of quinoa, but... Yeah there's also a lot of things that can cause a lot of problems for a lot of people. And granted, a lot of these problems don't affect everyone, but yeah. I think it's, I think it's fascinating. And one of the things I'm very interested in with nutrition is just how individual it really is. Yeah. And the diet you're describing, I would, I would be on the toilet 24 seven. Like I just know I do not respond well to beans. Um, granted the lentils I've never tried, but beans specifically, um, yeah. and soy products and corn products have always caused a little bit of discomfort for me, but I yeah. know many, 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 many people who have no problem with it. And that was why I brought up the book too, because he talks a lot about preparation and how hmm. different methods of preparation can have drastically different results on how our body reacts to these different yeah. foods. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I think it's I definitely, I think everyone is very individualized in how they digest and what they gut is made how it's made up Mm -hmm. and i think we're missing a lot of you know uh i think we're missing a lot of things that you know probably prevented a lot of these issues in the past um you know building up that strong gut bacteria and having that balance and eating a lot of different things that would you know help to balance out our our gut bacteria well Mm -hmm. which kept you know would keep our gut healthy um but yes i definitely do believe that preparation is key um i have had in the past like tofu that yeah you know made me want to go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. and i've had lentils and you know before i'd have chickpeas and chickpeas would never sit on me very well but now they do and um i I try and soak as many like nuts and things as i possibly can um if i can or if i can get them you know pre-soaked then yeah that's great um just to try and break down as much of the the acids as possible that aren't going to kind of sit well with me but you know, I, I think preparation is key. Um, and if something's not working for you, mm-hmm. um, instead of just drawing the line in the sand for me um, and just never trying it again, um, maybe just research for a few days and see if there's a, a particular way or if someone else has dealt with it in a different way that could mm-hmm. potentially, you know, change the whole taste or change the change the way that you digest it just by, you know, maybe letting it soak or maybe cooking it in a different way or mm-hmm. whatever it potentially may be um, where you can you know, um, prepare it in a different way that works well for your body and makes it more nutrient um, available. Uh, yeah. Nutritionally available for you. How would you recommend somebody starts down the path if they're looking to try a vegan diet, for example, because you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of any whole foods plant-based diet, like any diet that's going to incorporate, um, loads of healthy fruits and vegetables and and or with meats without meats i don't care it doesn't matter the one problem i see though is that people who are uneducated 
will often have more success on a whole foods plant-based diet that involves animal foods versus people who are uneducated then try eliminating animal foods. Because there's a lot of things that you get from animal foods very easily that are harder to understand how to get and what quantities to eat for plant-based. So like, what would you recommend to someone who wants to try that route? Yeah, I would just say, take it slow. Don't go um, all or nothing. If you're on the fence, um, for me, for me, it was different. I made a decision in my head and I'm very much like that. But if you're on the fence and you're looking to go down that path, um, then I would just try little things here and there. You know, maybe start with one day a week, one day a week where you try and decrease the amount. And then you might, you know, spend, you know, like in a lot of the blue zones, you might only, you know, eventually get to the point where you're having, you know, animal products one day a week or two days a week and you just decrease it and maybe make the portions smaller. But I would ease your way into it. Don't go all or nothing because then you'll probably hit a roadblock at some point and you'll come crashing down and you revert back to what you were doing before. Mm -hmm. um, so it might be a point that you just take it slowly and you just maybe have a day in the week where you decrease it or you prepare differently or you try something new. But yeah, just take it step by step and don't rush it mm -hmm. um, and treat it as a longer process, kind of like, you know, if you're, if you're really overweight and you need to lose some weight to, to be healthy, you don't want to just go on a crazy crash diet and, yeah. and have it all revert back on you um, in six months time because you've, you haven't, um, you haven't built, um, you know, the stability where you need to. So I'd say take it slow. For me, I didn't take it slow. I just started, I made a decision sitting in my car looking at a truck. But um, for a lot of people can do that. And for a lot of people, they can't do that. So, you know, or, or maybe just take out one, one, if you're looking at just going completely plant-based, take out, take out beef and then, you know, have your, have your, your, your chicken and your fish and your eggs. And then, you know, when you feel comfortable in preparing tofu a little bit better or tempeh a little bit better, then, you know, take something else out and, mm. you know, do that for three weeks and then take the next thing out and then take the next thing out and then substitute it with something else and learn how to prepare it well and learn how to make it taste good. So you don't, you know, restrict yourself in, in those ways as well. So I think, yeah, step-by-step step is good. Um, and that's probably going to make it more longer lasting. And, you know, as whole food and as much variety and as much color as possible is what I typically, and your, your taste buds change. Um, mm -hmm. If for a lot of people don't like the taste of a lot of these things, your, your taste buds change and that you'd learn to develop them and you learn to also cook and prepare these better. Um, I'm in Amsterdam at the moment and it is some of the most absolutely amazing vegan food I've ever had in my entire life. Cool. That's yeah, awesome. It's, it's just crazy. I think, yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, listening, even when you speak on, you know, how you did it, how you changed, you and I are the same in the sense that we're all or nothing people. I think we've established that. And I think one trait that comes along with that is you really dive in. Like, you're not just like, hey, I'm going to become a vegan. And then you just start like randomly eating not meat. You're like, okay, I'm going to become a vegan. And you get home from that drive and you're like on Google for four hours, Googling yeah, like how much. to do everything. Not yeah, a lot of people much. are like that. So I think, I think, yeah, where a lot of people run into problems is, is maybe they'll either try to make that switch, but they're making it from a place of a standard American diet and a standard American understanding of nutrition, which is non-existent. Yeah. You were a professional athlete before you, you, you knew to some extent, you knew what you were doing. Um, I think I like the idea of the slower approach to whatever you're doing, because yeah, the other problem, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this with things like a lot of nutritional research and studies and documentaries and stuff that come out is it's all epidemiological. 
it's all after the fact checking boxes. So like, okay, you had heart disease. You were following the standard American diet. You switched to a plant-based diet. All of a sudden you reverse your heart disease. It's like, okay. But also you stopped drinking, you stopped smoking and you started exercising. Exactly. So, and that's why I agree with you. And that's exactly why um, a lot of people see great success when they switch to a plant-based diet, but then also a lot of people see great success when they go meat only or carnivore yeah. because they're just getting rid of the toxic, you know, at all of the mm-hmm. other stuff that comes with their poor lifestyle choices. So, you know, if you, if you get rid of everything else that's inhibiting you, um, then yeah, you're probably going to see some success somewhere. So I, I, I do agree with that. And I, I think, there will be balance somewhere that you will find, but everyone is, everyone's definitely different. But yeah, I think you have to look at all the things that you did take out um, that were inhibiting you, not, not a lot of the other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, I think that's why there's an importance to doing it slow because a lot of people get motivated in the same way you did and jump and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I think the problem for people who are, well, you were healthy before, like you weren't unhealthy, you were a healthy person, you were a fit person. So there wasn't a dramatic difference to be had, really, it was more moral and whatever. Exactly, exactly. Whereas there's a lot of people who will do what you did, but from a place of like, I have type two diabetes, or I'm overweight, or I'm running down a road of chronic disease, and they see a reversal, but you need to do it slow so you understand what actually reversed it. Because you're right, like, yeah, people who jump onto carnivore, people who jump onto keto, people who jump onto vegan, and have these dramatic results it's like yeah okay great but it's it's probably probably in 90 percent of the people is not that you need to be on that exact strict specific diet it's that you eliminated a bunch of things that were horrible for you that are consistent with the standard american diet and you made lifestyle changes that are dramatically impactful on the success totally totally agree totally agree that's that can definitely can definitely agree on that. And um, yeah, I, I think that's a big thing. And, you know, once people start to feel good, um, you know, there's that placebo effect too, which for a lot of people is uh, huge. Like yeah. 50% of the work they're done. I mean, I think it's just consistent with like what's going on in society right now. Like it's either you're a good person or you're a bad person. If you're online, you're, if you don't agree with me, you're bad. You're a bad person. You're wrong. Like, and that's yeah, yeah, political. Yeah. That's like, it's, it's, I mean, that, that's something I think that's slowly coming to an end, hopefully, yeah. but it's, you know, similar with cancel culture and all that kind of stuff. And it's just this jump on pile on mentality. And with something so individual, like nutrition, you have to be more, less ideological sometimes and more just like, um, scientific about your approach and like really trying to measure how things are going for you. And you can't be married to something like I, that's what I said about why I'm so fascinated with nutrition and also why I intentionally try to keep as open mind as possible. And I'm willing to try pretty much anything because that's the only way you're really going to learn and really going to develop on something that's so individual. I agree. I agree completely. One of the things that makes zero sense to me, I'm not going to lie though, is the carnivore diet. Have you like researched much about that? Like it's, I've just seen a couple of videos on YouTube and yeah, I, I can't, uh, I can't wrap my head around it. Um, nor have I really, it, for me, it doesn't even register on the scale. It's just of what my internal belief, what my internal beliefs are mm-hmm. in, in the, in the way that, the way that I feel is that I just, I can't do it. So, yeah. um, and what I'm doing now, I'm feeling absolutely fantastic. So 
mm-hmm. it's it's not it's nothing that I just can't fathom eating that much of one thing and expecting it to be great for me. Yeah, I mean, I just I think it's it's fascinating. There's this guy Carnivore MD. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Oh uh, yeah, it was he on Joe Rogan. He was on Joe Rogan. Yeah, and that's where I was first introduced to him. And I've kind of been like looking at some of his stuff recently, and like I get it, but if I was to pick an elimination diet, it would be vegan because it, it just, it incorporates so much more. Like yeah. I am, I'm pretty like anti against going super far on either end of the spectrum. Like I believe most people will find the best results from balance and kind of a middle ground approach. But of all of the ends of the spectrum, I feel like carnivore is the craziest. It's like, you're literally just eating steak like that. Like, I, I don't care what research you show me. I will never believe that eating only one thing is optimal. Yeah, I don't uh, think I'll ever believe that. Like, like he shows all this stuff and whatever. And it's like, I don't know, it might work for a very select few, but also like his LDLs. He talks about how his LDLs are like just ridiculously sky high. And I'm a big believer in that cholesterol in doesn't equal cholesterol in the blood like just because you digest cholesterol just because you eat egg yolks egg yolks in a lot of studies have been shown to actually reverse cholesterol levels and that's one thing that's quoted and studied in the book that i'm reading right now by dr stephen r gundry but it, this dude's cholesterol is off the charts and he's like oh it's fine it's fine i'm like no it's probably not fine like like i know cholesterol is something we've been taught to be scared of and people don't understand what cholesterol is and having low cholesterol isn't necessarily always a good thing there's lots of good things that low density lipoproteins do but it's just the idea of like i can't wrap my head around just eating a steak and that's it i can't i can't there's too much other good stuff out there like good for you yeah yeah, I'll, I'll usually when I first when I first started doing plant based, I was aiming for forty different plant foods per week. That was my goal. That was the aim. Do me a favor, name some of those, because like I am. That's one of the things I struggle with the most is I want to eat more plant foods and a wider variety. But I'm like, I have potatoes, greens, broccoli, and carrots. That's all I can think of. Like what? Forty. Capsicum, um, rock melon, strawberries, raspberries, blueberries, blackberries. Um, uh, you've got spinach, you've got, um, uh, sprouts, you've got so many different varieties of sprouts as well. Um, you've got beetroot, um, you've got lettuces, all different types of lettuces. There's probably a million of those spring onion, onions, uh, sweet potato, purple potato, um, uh, watermelon, rock melon. Um, you've just, there's, it's, you know, building, building 40, if you were to sit down for you know, 15 minutes, you would have a hundred. It's, oh, it's very yeah. simple. Do you, um, how much greens do you eat a day? Seaweeds. seaweeds as well. Seaweeds are amazing. How much greens do you eat a day? How many leafy greens do you eat a day? Um, well, when I first also started as well, I was aiming for around 800 grams. Of was, vegetables in general. Yeah. Okay. Yep. But like of leafy greens specifically, I'm talking about like leafy greens, like spinach, kale, Swiss chard, lettuce, all that kind of stuff. Probably, okay. So probably in each meal, I would probably have three meals a day and it'd be like maybe a good like two, two handfuls, two handfuls in, in a meal, probably three times a day or in a uh, smoothie. Have you ever read anything about the kidney issues that can come from like super high levels of 
I don't think that's a super high level, but there's a lot of people who have reported like developing kidney stones and other kind of kidney issues from, it's mainly like juicers, people who will juice because you just get such a high volume, but leafy greens at too high levels can uh, result in like that kidney kind of stuff. Have you ever seen anything yeah, about that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I have heard of that. Um, I probably don't eat anywhere close to that range. Um, but yeah, I definitely have heard of people overdoing it and mm -hmm. um, themselves in a hole. So if yeah. you go too crazy with it, and I think everyone will have to, you know, weigh up how much they're having themselves. But yeah, um, typically, um, if I wasn't an athlete, I probably wouldn't be a very big eater either. Um, mm. Being an athlete makes me a bit more of a bigger eater. But yeah, typically, I'm not that much of a big eater. How do you find the satiety factor of it is? Because like, I think the typical argument against a vegan diet for an athlete is the amount of calories you have to consume in order to consume that from plant-based foods. Plant-based foods are always going to have higher water levels in them for the most part. And so you're getting, you're filling your, your stomach, but you're filling it with a lot of water and fiber and stuff that isn't exactly providing you caloric value. How do you like balance those two things? Um, I do have a lot of nuts and seeds. Um, so I do get a lot of caloric value out of nuts and seeds and things like that. Um, but yeah, I've actually found it like reasonably easy to, to hit good numbers there. Um, uh, for, for me, it's, I probably under eat quite regularly. Um, I try and hit good numbers, but I quite under eat quite regularly, but I never really fluctuate in weight. Um, I fluctuate in mood more so. Oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. Like typically on a, on a typical day, I'll have like oats in the morning um, with nuts and seeds and berries and maybe a bit of like hemp protein powder or such an inchy protein powder um, mixed into my oats. And then I'll have something like a, um, like a rice noodle bowl with, you know, tofu um, with mint and basil or, and um, uh, a bunch of other like leafies and things like that. Um, and maybe with a vegetable broth. And then at nighttime, I, I might have, you know, um, beans or lentils or tempeh um, mm. with maybe sweet potato and, and, and broccoli and sprouts and asparagus, something like that. Mm. And then in between, I'll have smoothies where I have some coconut water with a bit of coconut cream, some peanut butter, a little bit of protein powder, um, and mix it in with some, you know, cacao and other bits and pieces. And I might have mm -hmm. that two or three times in trainings. And that's typically how I'll, I'll, I'll uh, stack up my day. And then, you know, I'll rotate that with some seaweeds instead of the other greens in, in, in you know, like a bowl, like I was saying, like I'll have a, like a, a vegetable broth and then I might put some nori sheets in there, chop up some nori sheets, or I might make just some buckwheat pancakes or something mm. like that. And then just, you know, put some berries and some, you know, coconut cream with it or something. So I, I quite find it quite easy. Do you, do you, well, number one, you probably have the prettiest looking food on the entire internet. So if anyone wants to see some really pretty looking things, follow James yeah, on Instagram because, oh my goodness, dude, it looks like something out of like an LA like vegan restaurant. Like it looks so beautiful. That's Kayla. That's Kayla, not me. <laughs> how do you, how do you find travel though? Because I feel like that must be one of the hardest parts is trying to find quality vegan foods on the road. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's becoming more easier and easier. If you if you'd done it twenty years ago, I think you would have struggled, right? Immensely. But nowadays, everyone is is having options for 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 all types of um, you know, um, food 
food choices. Um, so in Amsterdam, there's plenty of different foods, there's plenty of vegan restaurants, plenty mm. of prepared things. Um, I haven't done a lot of travel in the last 12 months, but um, Amsterdam has been very easy. I have been to places where it's more tough, um, mm. but you make it work. You, you know, you, 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 you figure it out, you make it work. Most places have tofu and, and you, if you're in any one place, you go there for a week or two so you can cook up some rice, cook up some spring onions and some capsicum and, and, and you know, saute some, some kale and uh, chuck it all in a big bowl and you're, you're good to go for a couple of weeks. Mm. Do you eat a lot of husk grains? Because you talked about oatmeal, you talked about buckwheat pancakes. Do you eat a lot of like husk grains, like whole grains, or is, do you rotate between that and... Yeah, I probably just like rotate so uh, pretty much between those. Um, like I, I will every now and again I'll change it up, but um, yeah, like I'll have oats most mornings. Um, that'll be my kind of go-to. I'll have oats most mornings, and then you know if I'm feeling like a treat, then I might make some buckwheat pancakes. But mm. other than that, it's things like either you know rice or quinoa, or mainly rice, mainly mainly like basmati rice or something like that. Mm. Um, with with um, a variety of colors on top um, mm-hmm. with either a, a protein, like a higher protein content um, plant food, like beans or lentils or, or tempeh tofu mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Mm. Yeah. Cause that's one that I find interesting. I've, I've kind of heard from a few different places is the white rice versus brown rice debate and how like in a lot of cases, white rice is quite superior for you, especially from a digestive perspective. Like there's a reason why psyllium husks are, have been for thousands and thousands of years removed from the grains we've been eating. And I mean, like ancestrally, we were not even supposed to eat grains, really. It was like animal foods, fruits, like two stem vegetables, tubers, and I don't know what else. I think those were kind of the main ones or one leaf vegetables and tubers. And then we started incorporating during the agricultural revolution and like ancient Egypt and all that kind of stuff, grains and all that. So it's, I think more ancestrally consistent to remove the psyllium husk fibers and the sheathings from all of these things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that's where a lot of people find to digestive digestive issues too sometimes. Mm, yeah. Yeah. For me, I've been actually pretty good. And, but there are other people that, as I said, um, experience a lot more digestive issues than what i would um Mm -hmm. but yeah i typically don't have tons but yeah i have them from time to time and i don't seem too much problem Mm -hmm. you seem very although you have the 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 moral ethical stance on why you do what you do you seem open to ideas you don't seem it's not religious to you a lot of people take take nutrition as religion do you find that yeah Yeah, definitely I, i think having a hard stance a crazy hard stance on too many things is quite, quite difficult, but yeah, look, I'm always open, open to hear people's opinions and, mm-hmm. and, and take them on board. And at the end of the day, like I've got my path and, and mm-hmm. they'll have theirs and I'm always willing to listen to someone and to hear what they have to say, but um, whether I, you know, take it on board or, and I want to, you know, utilize that information. Um, I have the choice. I've got the mm-hmm. choice to do it. And if I yeah. want to take, you know, a couple of key things from that and be like, yeah, cool. I, I like that point there. I'll take that on board, but then, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'll take whatever else they had to say and, and treat them politely and mm-hmm. then just not put it into practice. Dude. I love that. I love that because there it, it's, it's just people who react in those really strong ways are usually people who are the most unsure of what they believe in. You know, 
Like if you're, if you're super obligatory defensive and you won't even hear someone talk about something else, that's maybe a little bit counter to what you're saying. It's usually because you're not very secure in yourself and your own beliefs. Like I, I'm more than willing to listen to someone tell me I'm completely wrong because number one, I think I can learn something. And number two, at the end of the day, like I'm going to take pieces, like you said, pieces of that but I'm not going to just like believe what you're saying because you're telling me you have these studies. It's like, yeah, there's lots of studies out there. Like I'm not just going to, you, you know what I mean? You'll find, a study. You'll find a study for whatever you want to believe in. Exactly. Exactly. People create echo chambers too, man. People create echo chambers to what they want to hear. And that's why I wanted to have, you know, this discussion and like, we've met before and we hung out and I know you're a really nice guy. But then when I, when I, when you first were like, Oh yeah, I did it for moral reasons. So I was like, Oh, I'm a little nervous to like start asking questions about nutrition, but you're very open about it, which is great. And that makes for great. And I think that's how, that's how people learn. Like you have to have people like you and me who have opposing um, practices, but open minds and viewpoints to have conversations about it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I wouldn't even say I believe any of the things I'm talking about. It's not a belief for me. It's just like a, this is what I've heard and learned and practiced and what works for me and kind of what I, I think is good. Yeah. Feels good for you. And I think if everyone just pulled out the, uh, pulled out the defensive card every single time someone had an opposing view, we wouldn't get very many places. So I think, uh, let everyone have their say and, and, um, you know, you, you work together and, you at the end of the day everyone evolves and everyone can take what they want and do what feels right for them that's why i like doing it over a medium like this like a podcast because you and i get to have a conversation for hours on end open format expressing ideas about these topics as opposed to making one instagram post where you put a couple little things in a caption but you can't really express your full idea and then you have a bunch of people making assumptions on what you're trying to say and then attacking you for that yeah yeah do you struggle with that? Cause you have a following and you, you've been, you know, pretty open about your, your journey, not necessarily just nutrition wise, but we can use that as an example. Like that's part of the culture nowadays and it's tough. Yeah. I, I think I don't, I think I wouldn't get many places if all I did was bashed on um, omnivores or carnivores. You know, mm-hmm. if I, mm-hmm. if every post, every second post I put up was being like, you know, you're doing this and you're doing this. It's not going to get any ground. Yep. And I've seen people get really defensive about it and it doesn't get any ground. It just stirs people up and you get nowhere. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I can, you know, be a kind person, a polite person, I can live a healthy, healthy life. I can do things that help to inspire people. And, you know, I just show my experience. And then mm-hmm. if, if people want to take it on board, it's, it's their life to run. It's their path mm-hmm. to take. And, they want to take some inspiration from a couple of things here and there then feel free and if you if you don't want to then it's entirely up to you but it's evolution it's it's uh you know we we have to do what right what feels right for us and and we have to learn to keep an open mind and that's kind of what i try and do in everyday practice yeah how do more people do that though because everything in the world right now wants you to read a headline and freak out you know what i mean like i was talking about this even from the perspective of like media nowadays like you know, clickbait is a thing because in previous years, the New York Times sold papers. You went to the newsstand and you bought a paper and therefore they had income, they had sustainable income and they could write true hard hitting journalism. Now, if they don't put something out there, that's big, bold, whatever that gets you to click on it, they're not going to get the ad rev and they're not going to be able to keep running as an institution. 
So like yeah. with culture, so shaping towards like people freaking out, like how do you break free of that? Um, I think um, you can, I think go out and when you can, when borders open up, go out and travel and experience some different cultures and, mm-hmm. and um, start to do some inner work on yourself um, rather than, you know, just stay in your bubble and, and, and not go out and learn any, anything else. I think getting out and seeing new ways of life and, and how other people do things and getting an experience for that can really, you know, impact you and, and allow you to take different pathways. Um, for whatever reason, it's just self, self-progression and self-learning. Um, that's probably the biggest way to keep an open mind and listening to things like this might just help you just to take a, a, instead of, you know, biting back at someone who has a really hard opinion, just let them talk, take on board what you feel like is necessary and, and leave mm-hmm. the rest. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where the, the enjoyment that comes from also being open to having your viewpoint countered and like to learning mm-hmm. from it, like it, it really is like, it feels empowering. It doesn't, a lot of people, I think are scared that if they're wrong, they're wrong and they're an idiot and everyone's going to look at them and think they're lesser than them. And like, I see people get super, and we all have those people in our lives that if, if they're mistaken about something, they get so animated and they just try to defend themselves by screaming the loudest in the room. Yes. And it's like, you got to be okay with being like, oh, okay, like this thing that I, I thought w- is actually incorrect for these reasons and, and, and move forward with that. And like, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's a top down trickle down effect because the leader of the free world for the last four years has just screamed until he was right and he's still doing it right now. But it's, it's, I think that's one of the biggest things that sucks about, you know, listening, it being part of the mass, listening to the mass and having, you know, something, I, I'm pretty lucky. And I think we both are in the fact that CrossFit is a pretty tight knit community and there's not a lot of that, but as soon as you step outside into the general public, it's like, there's, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of who can scream the loudest and that's the person that's right. You know? Yeah. 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 I think we have to, you know, take some ownership on ourselves and and just run our own paths and, you know, keep the people that are close to you that, you know, uh, are feeling your vibe and yeah, you keep them close and, and you keep an open mind for when you meet new people and, take from what you can and learn as much as you can and, and create your own experiences. Here. Yeah. So you're in Amsterdam right now, which I think is cool, yeah. but why aren't yeah. you in Australia? Cause Australia is like fully open right now. Aren't they? They went in like a four month lockdown and now you can just like go to massive parties and it's okay. Yeah. Well, I'm here just in stopping by. I was supposed to be, um, I'll be flying back to Australia mid January. So I'll be here. I'll do one more EC race in, in Germany mm-hmm. um, for bobsled. And then I'll be heading back to Australia to do my two week quarantine. And, and then I'll be good to go. You'll Finish be free. the rest of summer. Be free. Finish to enjoy summer and, and get back some tan. I'm looking pretty pasty at the moment because I haven't seen sunlight. Bro, it's a crazy approach. Like, I don't know how much you, I'm assuming you probably know everything about it, but it was like a three to four month really strict lockdown before summer, right? Like you weren't allowed to leave or do anything. But that was just Melbourne. The rest of Australia was pretty well good. Okay. So, okay. So within Melbourne, but then yeah, it's that Island effect. There's like zero active local cases or something right now. Right. Yeah, it's That's bonkers. It's crazy. It's crazy. So yeah, Australia is pretty sweet at the moment, which is great. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to getting back there and, and, and seeing everyone. I've been away for a little while now, so it'd be good to get back, hang out and, and experience the beaches while they're still hot and before it gets cold again. Cold. How cold does it get there, big guy? <laughs> well, like maybe like 15 degrees. No, it gets down to like 10, 8 or 10 degrees Ooh. at the moment. 
it's more like two, but yeah, it's um, yeah, eight or 10 degrees. It's pretty cold for us. Where's your favorite place to travel to? What's like some of the better travel experiences you've had? Cape Town, South Africa, mm-hmm. Amsterdam, where I am right now. Um, and uh, absolutely love Cambodia. Mm. I've heard amazing things about the first two. I haven't heard much about Cambodia, but Cape Town I've heard is like just one of the most like amazing places on this planet. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Very much reminds me of Adelaide. It's a very beautiful place. Lots have of beaches you, and activities. Have you bumped noses with Great White? So apparently Great White population in Cape Town is like crazy. I have never seen one in, in, um, out in the ocean, like yeah. um, with me on the surfboard. No, um, it would be an experience for sure, as long yeah. as as long as they lose a limb. But yeah, I have not seen one. I've seen some other sharks, but never a great one. It's funny how that fear disappears when you're on a surfboard. You know, mm. like when I when I when I'm standing on the shore, not even on the shore. When I'm when I'm back in my room, and I'm like, wow, that's a big ocean. And like one of my biggest fears is literally. This sounds so weird, but being in a boat and having a great blue whale swim underneath me—that's like my biggest fear on the planet. Yeah. I don't know why it's just so big and it could just swallow you at any moment, whatever. It's one of my biggest fears. So I think about that. I'm like, whoa, surfing does probably doesn't sound like a good thing. But the moment I get out on a board in the water, I'm not, it's not even crossing my brain. It's like, I yeah. could care less. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's the most amazing feeling ever. If anyone hasn't surfed, I'd recommend it. It's a good time. It's a good time. I like that sweater you just throw it over yourself. Did you make that? That looks very nicely knitten. Yeah, it's 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 um I got it from Fit Aid, gave it to me recently. Oh. Did you see Noah Olson's copying your hair now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, nah, he told me ages ago that he was been growing it out to try and make it happen. And I was like, Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Dude, he looks like you now. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just the, the blonde dreadlock thing, but like some of the pictures he'll post on his story, I'm like I look at it quickly and I'm like, what the fuck? It looks like James. I look at it too and think, oh, that's me. Oh, no, it's not. It's Noah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's a very uh, individual look, I guess. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, cool man. All right, buddy. Well, I'll, uh, I'll let you run. I know it's getting late there. I appreciate you coming on and chatting. It's been fun. No worries. Oh, mate, I've had a blast. And yeah, thanks so much for, um, for a, a sweet chat about lots of different opinions. I love it. It's really yeah. good. Cool, man. I appreciate it. Well, where, where are we going to see you this year? Do you have any ideas of where you're going to be throughout the year where people can find you and see you? I'll be in Australia from January. Yeah, I'll be in Australia from January. And then from there, hopefully, you know, maybe make it to one of these sanctioned events. Mm -hmm. Um, And then hopefully make it back to America maybe next year for some bobsled. Mm. Do you know if T is quitting CrossFit and going full bobsled right now? Can we get some inside information here? I have no idea. I know she's, I know she's in Korea, but I have no idea where it's taking her. Mm. All right. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks for the chat and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, dude. Really appreciate it. Yeah. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. See ya. Bye. Love it is the antidote. Da 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 da